from deep in the wilds of San Bruno, a locale that has only reaffirmed the namesake isolation of the titular hotel for which we broadcast the Overlook Hour. Horror film culture and all its supplicants in the absence of the honey-toned southern dandy Clark Little. I am your humble host, Nick Nordlinger. Here in the hallowed company of these tenders of the feed, first of his name, the man who made me feel like an amateur at this whole horror fandom thing, Lord Battle, sitting across from me. Yes, there he is. Dude. <laughs> you got more. <laughs> I'm more. Okay, yeah. okay. And behind every prominent man is the woman who turns the wheels, the indefatigable Virgil through this inferno, taking us through the rings of hell, one at a time, the Huntress Oksana. <laughs> Hi. And let's not forget the voice of reason amidst the madness, like the blonde daughter from the Munsters, always pleasantly on the verge of wrapping himself in barbed wire and committing an act of eco-terrorism in a Lutheran church, Randy! <laughs> and I'm going to about, I'm gonna talk to you about First Reformed later. That's my reminder to do that. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> okay. And I'm Nick, standing in for Clark. And I promise, Clark, I'm going to do the worst job I can so you don't kill yourself in an Arizona battle. <laughs> That Spoiler, he already Trump. did. Oh, no. <laughs> i got to be here every week now. <laughs> Are you done now? I'm done. That's Dude, the intro. You've done better work in that intro than we've ever done on this show in five years. Hey, I'm just a natural showman. You're just showing off. You goddamn <laughs> English teacher over here. You're really flexing. I'm happy to be with y'all. Dude, I'm uh, bl also, I was clapping for him, not for me, you idiots out <laughs> Well, there. I wanted everyone to make a noise to indicate that they were here and okay, that I was I, talking about them. My jaw was on the floor. I had to pick it up. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, I am a uh, somewhat podcaster, writer, English teacher, theater goer, horror fan who's been on the show before, and I'm really happy to be here in the Overlook Theater with y'all. This is the theater and it's the hour. It's both, you know. At the same time. Now, okay, you were on the show not too long ago. I yeah. should have, if I was a better podcaster, I would have pulled up that episode so I could plug it. But you mentioned you were going to do a horror? Yes. Okay, so I what have to... What the fuck, man? I have to apologize for this because I never got around to it. <laughs> the boys um, of, uh, what, the Fall Boys? Oh, okay. So, well, no, I did I did actually do a, we did, we did a yearly podcast. We did the October Boys too, and I was going to originally... October Boys. I was originally going to have um, Randy do the sound mixing, and I was going to record it here. Um, we just got pressed in October because um, Harry, who Harry and I used to do a, a podcast called Cinematic Oblivion. We we still do it once a year, but it's sort of on the back burner, and uh, and it's sort of it's sort of over because we put a lot of time into it, just like you guys do. We put a lot of research into it. We put a lot of editing time into it, unlike us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you guys do. You guys put a lot more equipment, and like you know, Randy does actual mixing. Um, even the last episodes of that show had bad sound. We got to a point where, first of all, COVID hit. And second of all, Harry started getting really active with comic book writing. And yeah. he works like hours a day at a drawing table doing it. Has a, a fairly successful cult comic called Vacuum Decay, getting bigger and bigger names, getting more and more disturbing. Check it out. The fourth issue of Vacuum Decay is truly fucked up shit. We had to like make my mom not read it. During oh, really? Like, like she's like, oh, Harry, I'm so proud of you. You wrote this new comic, Vacuum Decay. And, and he's like, you can't look at it, mom. You got to put it. <laughs> you, you, you cannot. No, give it to me. Um, it's great stuff. Check it out if you're an extreme horror comics fan. It's great. Um, now, hold on. Now, everybody out there rolling their eyes like, I don't read comic books. Or you do it online in that new like K-pop way where you scroll down on your phone. Abandon that. Harry, you know, he's a film fan first. Yes. And a long time ago when his first comic came out, I read it. And I remember I pushed it on our cinematographer friend, Jasadi, who's been on the show a bunch. He stole my fucking comic. And it's not because he loves comic books. It's because he loves film. 
Yeah. And Harry, he really nails that like Lynchian voyeur oh, yeah. disturbing. There's a, there's an enigma in that book, yep. which there isn't in a film we're going to talk about later, which I was super disappointed about. Yep. Oh, okay. But I still like the film. Same take. Um, I just want to point out that for those who don't maybe read comics, I just want to point. And if you're like an extreme horror fan and you've already seen the gamut of the really disturbing movies out there, you know, if you've already done your, your beginner level disturbing with like cannibal Holocaust and Solo, and then maybe gone deeper into like Serbian film and August underground, I promise you comics are producing the most disturbing stuff out there right now. I, without a doubt. And uh, Harry one time, very casually in October, and I'm going to talk about books a little later. I'm going to do a Nick's book corner, which Ooh. I know that the listeners will love because uh, <laughs> everyone loves reading as um, he handed me just casually I was like, you got any good horror comics and usually I read like old EC horror comics yeah. I love those I love those and he just hands me without any fucking warning this comic called The Furry Trap by Josh Simmons um, and he's like yeah read this I go home it's a vignette comic you know it's like a bunch of short uh, horror comics right genuinely like between each comic had to stand up and walk around. Cause like, Holy fucking shit. Some of the most disturbing shit I've ever read. What, you've never seen a mascot. <laughs> fuck another mascot before. <laughs> it was worse. Not, not that kind of furry. It was, it was, it was um, like within the first issue. It's, it's sort of the, the, the problem with it is with comics. You can do stuff in, you can do stuff in art. You can't ever depict with real people. Oh yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yep. And that's the kind of stuff it does. And, I, I, I got to recommend it for extreme horror fans. The furry trap is great and I, and it's excellent. And uh, he, the guy, Josh Simmons, that comic author, he did uh, the back cover of one of the vacuum decay issues. Oh, right. Yeah. And Harry's getting a lot of really like intense, cool artists to do, to do issues. I think in the most recent issue, Harry, one time I told him, I thought before he'd had as much success as he has now, I told him, I thought his comics would be more successful if he had more narrative in them. Cause they're sort of surreal. How and dare you? His neck his <laughs> very, his very next post on it on Instagram or Facebook or wherever was narrative is for bitches. And, 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 <laughs> <laughs> and he just posted some surreal images, but his most, his like anchor vignette for vacuum decay four is fairly narrative. It's like, okay. it's, uh, it's actually more narrative than the other ones in the issue. Mm -hmm. And he has a few panels in there that he clearly has worked harder on than any panel I've seen him do before. So that was one of the reasons why we stopped doing the regular podcast is he was really going into comics hard. Plus, um, it then I was, I had already been kicking it around, but it sort of inspired me to lean full in on writing. And so I wrote a manuscript for a novel through COVID that is currently in like the third draft of editing. I'm passing it on to people to read. I've had some people read it and get, give me feedback. I've submitted it to one publishing house. We'll see what happens. And I'm currently working on um, a, a, a novella that I want to do a series of five novellas. But I wanted to also say that there was a project I wanted to do for this podcast. And the, the thing with my ADD brain is I have a million ideas. I'm and there I, with you. And I just need to... I, at 32, I have figured out a, the best working system of my life, which is just, I need to do them sequentially. Yeah. So I need to do one and it's done and then do the next one and it's done. So at some point I really would love to do a segment on this show as like a regular occurrence, like 10, 15 minutes. I used to do radio horror back in KDBS Davis. I'd love to do like fake movie reviews. Like, so what are you pitching it to the audience? Like, like they're not important. Fuck them. Keep that uh, under wraps. Yeah. For, you're right. I'll, I'd, <laughs> we'll do it. I'll, I'll do a radio theater bit on here. That's all. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just leave Don't it at that. Throw it out to them. Yeah, they're, they're horrible. They're, they're going to steal it is what they'll do. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, um, that's that's what's going on. We did do an October Boys episode of Cinematic Oblivion. It's sort of just a review of October, and uh, I'll talk more about that's the movies good. I, I like I like y your dynamic there, mm -hmm. and um, 
you guys are incredibly talented artists. It's no surprise to me that you've abandoned the like lowbrow podcasting world for like real art. I'd love to come back. If it had been like a, an instant success, I would have kept doing it, but it was, you know, it was an addition to all the other projects. It's we were a fucking on. grind. Yeah. And I really, you know, even editing it just once this year, I really like, try to put in a lot of like clips and shit and it takes fucking forever yeah. you know like it takes so long it's and like it's all i do that week when i make an episode if you know? all think like we do a ton of that you know randy does edit the show he mostly uh takes out all the racial slurs that clark drops but <laughs> what we do is i have a soundboard and i just we just play this all live they do it like radio which is the yeah. smarter it's the smarter way to do it randy's smart work work smarter not harder i don't love it as much like audio wise but it's much easier and i think it plays better yeah. What do you I, mean you don't love it as much? Just because it's not as clean. Oh, you motherfucker. And I could like level it. Like, what kind every, of like, punk most, are you? <laughs> almost everything is pretty level on the board, I will say. Like, you know how to like add gain or subtract a level or whatever. But when I, I don't know, I like having the control of like making everything like sound exactly the same level. Well, then don't move to the fucking East Coast. Come back. <laughs> I'll give you the soundboard and the mixer. Every episode of this podcast sounds better than any episode <sighs> of Cinematic Oblivion. In terms in terms of sound quality, I had the you know how we as you said in the last episode I was on I machine gun through movies like yeah, I'm yeah. a free associate. I love it by I the would way. try when I would do Cinematic Oblivion to put in a clip for every movie I mentioned. Dude, yeah. It took me all fucking week. <laughs> it was a nightmarish, you know? Well, even yeah. there's an art to that. And I love sound editing. I mean, it's actually fun, but uh I'm sure Randy feels this too. It's like it's one of those things that can I get paid to do this somehow? Because I, I fucking, because I fucking like, I like doing it, but I'm supposed to be working, you yeah. know, like <laughs> shit like that. Well, here's my dream is that, uh, you know, my, uh, Saitama coin, it really takes off. And then I can, uh, <laughs> oh, we're it. all just going to work in a, in a one building complex. Don't it, it will, we'll do it. You, Let's you, pay everybody, all our friends. We'll, we'll make some garbage and nobody listens to, to immediately make this political. Again, you keep talking as though you've got like a libertarian dream. Your dream sounds a little uh, more mutual aid for oh, to me. Let's all form. I've been saying for years, let's form. This is one of my thousand ideas. Uh, let's form a giant, um, young, middle reader horror book writing factory like Goosebumps and just, oh, yeah. and just turn them out. Like, and, and, that, and that'll be our cash cow for all the other projects we want to do. You know, as like politics in America has gotten so volatile, I've really been like digging into like all the different ideologies. Sure. And the only thing I've learned is that I don't fit in any of them. Mm. So I've just been bouncing around and I'm like, where's the ideology where you just like love people and you kind of recognize that the government system doesn't really work, mm -hmm. but you know, humans are corruptible mm -hmm. and it's going to happen forever. So mm -hmm. we just got to figure it out. Yeah. It's, it's anarcho-communism is the system. Yeah. You're looking for. <laughs> I'm Except not I'm not sold on it yet. <laughs> no, no. I'm just throwing it out there. I know Russ tends to be a little more libertarian and that's fine. But since I'm the host, I'm just going to throw it out there. Everybody it's anarcho-communism. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I've been thinking, I like, I listen to a lot of it. I just, again, we were talking about this off air. It's the end goal. I don't know how we get there. I think you start by just living your truth. And I know that sounds really corny, yeah. like really live, laugh, love. But I mean, like whatever your values are, live by them and support the people you love in the, according to those values. Yeah. And then just, and then just defend that from state forces. Here, know, here's the thing. Essentially. So I don't know if you ever listened to scary thoughts. They've been covering, um, they're a local Bay Area podcast. They kind of they do the one film a day, and they're they're uh, Mark and Chad are incredibly smart people who come from like different sides of everything, sure. and they really just get into 
probably what me and you love, where it's like you look at a lowbrow slasher film and you really try to pick apart the ideas in there. Oh, yeah. And they pointed out something that I cannot get rid of, where like slasher films are kind of all about how you shouldn't put your trust of, uh, you shouldn't put your personal security in the hands of the government. Exactly. Because it will never help you out. No. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and I don't plug the podcast a lot now, but if there's one thing you're going to listen to from Cinematic Oblivion and you have six hours to spare, go listen to our three part slashers episode. Oh, dude, I love it. We go through the history of slasher movies. And that's sort of part of our take, too, is it is a big part. And also, we were talking about this on the most recent October Boys, our most recent episode of Cinematic Oblivion. Slashers are about isolation from state power. Um, because, you know, in a good slasher movie, the cops show up once and they're incompetent. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yep. and if the cops show up multiple times and are helpful, it becomes a noir instead of being a slasher. Oh, like as soon, as soon as you have that police presence, it changes the tenor of the genre. You know, and I know you're having noir vember over there, Randy. And I think that <laughs> I think that uh, I think that slashers and noirs are cousins. And I think that the thing that like splits them up is the urban setting and the police presence. And as huh. soon as you add those elements into a slasher, it becomes more n- like a noir. Think about like why Silence of the Lambs doesn't feel as much like a slasher as, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, even though they're both about Ed Gein, is because you've got the major police presence in Silence of the Lambs and the major like, you know, and so and it shows like state competence in Silence of the Lambs. Man. Yeah. Man, that's a lot to chew on. Yeah. Also, I quote you guys all the time in that kind of comparison because you guys, what, what did you call um, Silence of the Lambs? Like it's a psycho film? It's a psycho study is what we call it. And yeah. and like the narrative perspective is more yeah. on. Yeah. This is the same reason why Silent Night, Deadly Night is not a slasher is because if you focus on the killer from the beginning, you know who the killer is yeah. and you watch the development of their psychosis. It's not a slasher. It's a psycho study because you're watching, you're, you're studying them as a yeah. character. American Psycho is not a slasher. Um, and even Texas Chainsaw is not quite a slasher. You know, it's, it's on yeah. the borderline. Slashers are also about mystery. That's a big part of it is mystery. And like the best slashers have a great like agatha christie vibe to them yep. where you're like oh who could it be and it's one of the five characters usually or so interesting now how do you feel about like scream and all the post slashers those like are, those are great um th- but they're different there's something in the dna because there's no like supernatural element it's not like urban legend even though urban legend is one of those it's kind of more about like a weird it's it's kind of like that 12 little indian thing you're yeah. talking about except like it's like it's one of us yeah and i don't know what that's articulating so uh the the one problem I have with the 90s slasher revival is it focused so much on the trope of like, oh, if you have sex or do drugs, you die. That then a lot of people who didn't know slashers very well started kind of playing with those tropes a little too much. And there was this era of a lot of slasher uh, comedies that had their charm. You know, you had Tucker and Dale, you had The Cabin in the Woods, you had The Final Girls, you had Dude Bro Party Massacre 3. And I feel like some of those got it better than others. For example, The Final Girls focuses entirely on slashers being about punishing, you know... It's uh, like a nostalgia yeah, fest. Yeah, but, but, yeah. Like, but like punishing explicit sex, or punishing promiscuity. Whereas... I think that what slashes are really about is about like eighties excess and, um, and gender identity, which is why dude bros party massacre three is my favorite yeah, slasher yeah. movie. Cause, cause, um, th- so sorry, getting, off no, no, track, no, 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 this is, <laughs> this is what, Hey, the, Clark's not here. I don't know if yeah, you we noticed. Can, we can just go on <laughs> we and can, on. We can talk about like film theory. Yeah. Although I had, I always have something to say to Clark too. I was just listening. Anyway, going yeah. back, um, <laughs> the nineties revival was about the way that the children of, the boomers who had been the victims of the previous generation, mm-hmm. the early children of the boomers, the Gen X's. I'm also a child of a boomer, but the Gen Xers were reckoning 
with the legacy of Reagan America. Mm-hmm. And and Wes Craven, man, he's been there at every stage of the journey. Think about it. He invented, or not invented, but cemented the rape revenge film with yep. Last House on the Left. Yep. The sort of the cannibal massacre film with the Hills Have Eyes. The supernatural slasher with Nightmare on Elm Street, and then the slasher revival with Scream. And between there were some less great movies, but you know those he hits every point constantly. I know one of the things I always end up talking about with Wes Craven um, is John Carpenter. I always feel like they get compared, and one of them being a great filmmaker, and the other being a fantastic like idea man. You know what? I just watched, and and I think they're both similar. Also, where. You know, you know the big ones, but there are all these like movies you probably haven't seen by both of those directors mm-hmm. that are like, what what is going on here? But no matter what, it always has the vibe. Just yesterday, waking up, you know, bloated and hungover from Thanksgiving because I had my Thanksgiving on Friday because um, Harry was working on actual Thanksgiving. Uh, woke, wake, woke up, didn't even get out of bed, turned on Big Trouble in Little China Rad. and watched it in bed. What a fucking great movie, dude. What a great I, genre I, film. I know. It was such a great genre film. And... um. And it just that is John Carpenter firing on all cylinders. Yeah, and I just and just but now, oh, no, that's a that's a good point. Now the the reason I love that movie is because he's taken the traditional uh, protagonist and yeah. flipped it. Yeah, yeah, I love the part where um where Kurt Russell's like, you know what, whatever his name is, whatever. Well, you know what Jack always says. And yeah. the guy's like, who? He's like, me. I'm Jack. Jack Burton. Jack Burton. Because he keeps trying to be the main character, but he's not. He's not. He's a sidekick in Wang's story. This is Wang's but, story. <laughs> now in good film though, you don't you. You want all your characters to be interesting, sure. and I'll tell you the thing that gives me goosebumps, like I'm having right now, is his the, what seems like a throwaway line, but turns out to be Chekhov's like wisdom, where it's all in the reaction. Mm-hmm. And when he catches that knife and throws it back, yeah, I don't know if I've seen anything cooler. Yeah, I fucking love that. Moment. I love that. I was also talking to um, my wife when we were watching it about how it's one of those movies that walks a weird line with our current cultural conversation about film. Where sure, that movie is full of stereotypes and it definitely like has you know some it gets at some of the issues in the way that we think about like chinese american culture yeah. and the way that we stereotype it especially with the green eyes thing and with the like um with the reverence of of western features of beauty and, and all that but you've heard people talking for a long time and i think this is one of the most important aesthetic conversations happening right now about how hey we don't need every film for black people starring black people to be about slavery or, oh, yeah. or police murder it could be about just like going to narnia yeah. And I think that it's so cool that Big Trouble in Little China is just a fantasy movie that just happens to have a majority Chinese cast. Oh, yeah. And is about Chinese mythology. Well, it's a celebration. It's a it's, celebration. It's, it's like in San Francisco, there's a Chinatown. Yep. But they kind of treat the audience like, you've probably never been here. Yep. And we're going to go into a whole new world of like fantasy. <laughs> you know, uh, I my... Uh, my sister-in-law and her boyfriend just moved to San Francisco and I made them a notebook like this, but I filled every page with different categories of San Francisco things to do. Oh, <clears throat> dude, I hate you. And on one page <laughs> and on one page I wrote, um, and I didn't want to do too many. I wrote classic San Francisco films and I did uh, vertigo experiment in terror, 48 hours, um, the conversation and big trouble in little China. I was like, that's, cool. a, that's a good fist of San Francisco movies. You know, like we yeah. gonna watch five. This will give you a good overview. None of them are realistic about what's going on in the city. We are not a constant crime wave, you know, nightmare. If anything, you know, that maybe what is what it was like in the seventies, but yeah. it's, it's still a fun way to see the movie. I mean, to see the city through these movies, you know? Yeah. Okay. So you wrote them a notebook on 
films only. No, 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 no. One page was films. The rest was like, oh my god, here are things to do <laughs> in the city. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I hate you because I'm one of the people who, yeah, uh, you know, I I love talking to new people, and whenever we get new people in now, especially yeah. after everybody's been fleeing, yeah, and they want to get excited. You know, me and Clark had a talk, and we were like man, what are we going to do? Like we wanted to be a part of our rich film culture here, but sure. it feels like, like the Alamo has gone completely like remotely corporate. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, like clearly you're in with the Balboa and oh, they're, yeah. they're the lighthouse they are, in this storm. Yeah, they are exactly. Couldn't yeah. Have, couldn't have put it better. No. And so we do have those, but sure. our broad culture, it's like, man, I feel like it's getting strangled out here. Culture is a bit dead in the Bay Area. And I and I uh I mean don't get me wrong, it's it's here in different ways, but film culture is is dying. No, I agree. But you know what? But you go to any other state, it's like we're still beating them. I'm a fucking hipster, man. I like being one of the few people doing what I'm doing. Well, that, that's why I'm curious what's in your notebook. Like is yeah. it dated or do you have restaurants in there and they're like, hey, that's gone? Uh there, I definitely, as I was putting the notebook together, I was like, oh, that's gone. You got to Google for, them all? For, for quite a few things. I was like, oh, go do, oh, that doesn't exist anymore. Oh, that well, it's post-COVID too, so a lot of stuff closed. Uh, and also when I'm, they're younger, they're like 25 and maybe 26 or 27. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff I was writing down was shit I did when I was in my early 20s. Yeah. Just because I was like, well, you're young, you know, go do city stuff. So I was remembering what I did in my early 20s. <gasps> and some of that stuff is gone. Yeah. You know, I was recommending stuff like go to Lolinda El Techo, have brunch on the roof, you know. Uh, but I also also recommended a lot of you know natural features that'll always be there like walk from sutra bath to the legion of honor yeah go to um my favorite walk to do from my house is down the panhandle down to visadero down geary end up at japan town go get a manga go get some udon it's like anyone can do that anytime in san francisco japan town didn't die survived the pandemic so go it do did. that yeah that mall did it even change at all nope do you know what's the one thing? I mean, I was going to talk about movie theaters later, but you kind of brought it up. The one thing that did change that I hate two things change, two or three things changed. About I don't want to hear this. You know, you know what I'm going to say. No, I don't know. That's why I don't want to hear it. Three, th th two or three things. A few, a few different stores in Japantown had to close. It's really tragic. Uh, one of them was Pico Pico, which was one of my favorite places to go on dates. Which was a, uh, which was a photo booth, all Japanese photo booths. Okay, go in and just play with Japanese photo booths. You know, the Kabuki Theater changed ownership from Sundance to AMC. I think that might have even happened before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And it kind of sucks now. Like, like it's just... I was never a huge fan of the Kabuki. Dude, I don't usually like to talk shit about, like, individual people. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but please do. You're on this show now. The bartender at the Kabuki is just not a vibe dude like okay I, i've i've had like two interactions with him where i was like this guy and they were like a year apart like two years apart like this guy fucking bums me out i went there once to see once upon a time in hollywood the second time and i took <laughs> are the kids listening you know what kids you're not supposed to be listening to this okay i think i've yeah. heard this story on yeah. your podcast <laughs> I, I think i did tell this thank you for listening randy uh i took some some of those uh you know good old mother nature mushrooms and uh i like to wash it down with a little beer just to level it out and I went out to the bar. This wasn't even like before the movie. It was like in the scene where, you know, Roman Polanski's like partying at the yeah. pool party. And I go out and I'm like, and he's like setting up the bar. I was like, can I just get a beer? He's like, I'm still setting up. I was like, can I just get one beer? He's like, I'm still setting oh up, man. My God. And I go back in the movie and I start to, I'm on the come up. I just want a beer to like level it out. And it's, huh. anyway, so then, so then I finally get one. He made me wait forever. He's just like not excited to be there. Being a bartender at a movie theater sounds like kind of a cool gig. I've, uh, hell yeah. I've worked at a bar before and it's, it's fun. You, you know, you're supposed to be like a personable guy. And then I went to see the new candy man there. And I, I walked up to him and I ordered like the signature Candyman drink or something. What was it? I don't remember what it was. 
I, I might have actually just gotten a beer, but I. Um, well, hold on. you're a little bit of a mixologist. Yeah. Were you rolling your eyes at the name? Yeah, it was. I, I, I don't remember what it was. It might have been like b- b- honey bourbon and being called like sweets to the sweet or something like that. Um, but, actually, that's kind of cool. But they, no, <laughs> no, you know what? Actually, no, that's not what it was. It wasn't that clever. That is a clever idea from a cafe it, near my house where they're going to do a honey latte called sweets to the sweet, and that is a good idea. They yeah. should. Um, but no. But this guy, he was playing like music from his phone speaker. Um, and he was like annoyed that I was there. And I was like, can I get a beer? Hey, did, did you see the new Candyman yet? He's like, yeah, I saw it. And I was like, do you like it? And he's like, mm. and I was like, did you like the old original Candyman? He's like, yeah, it's cool. Like he had no interest in talking to me. <laughs> he was so mad to be there. And I'm not saying people have to love their jobs, but it was just a bummer, man. The way I imagine that going down is you come out of the theater and you're like, hey, man, you see the new Candyman? And he just kind of like glares at you and he turns his phone around. He's watching it on his phone or something. <laughs> just like complete disrespect of the culture. I don't and everything. know. I don't know what's going on with him. You know, maybe he was having a bad day. I, I kind of like I kind of am OK with it when people don't like their jobs from a political standpoint. But like I love movie theaters and um it just sucks. It's I don't like going to the Kabuki anymore. Is the point, and it sucks because I love hanging out in Japantown, and I wish it was a better movie theater. What about the new people? I hear that they might be going away too. The new people, new people cinema. Where is? Have that? you ever been to another no. Hole in the Head? No, I think that's the only time they show movies. I feel like I, I you know, know I think they... so too. I've been talking to a George. I don't even know if I'm supposed to put any of this out there, but he's one of the uh, programmers and heads at Another Hole in the Head, and he was telling me they're looking to sell that building. That building had like, um, it has like an escape room mm-hmm. permanently in there that changes. And then they have like a tea, was, was that a tea garden? What the hell you call that thing? It's just like a tea, rest, tea and cookies restaurant. Yeah, I don't know. It's I'm not right cultured enough. It's right across the street almost from the Kabuki, I think. But it's like yeah. an Adobe oh, it's right theater. There. Yeah, and you go down into the basement. Oh, I know the tea place you're talking about. Have you been down into the theater? No. Okay, I'll bug you. Um, Oh man, the Kabuki uh, used to be fucking cool. I don't know if people knew this, but when Sundance owned it, it was considered like a luxury theater. It was before the Balboa Theater got their liquor license or their beer license. Yeah. So it was one of the few theaters where you could drink. Alamo wasn't in the city yet, so if you wanted you had to be up on the balcony, right? If you wanted to drink, I don't. I think you could drink anywhere, but okay. if you, but if you wanted, oh no, yeah, you're right. You had to yeah. be on the second floor. But if you wanted a drink at the movies, you had to go to the Kabuki. It was the only option. Yeah, the it only was one. A, it was a Sundance theater. It was a cool vibe. AMC totally, and don't get me wrong, I made a little money off that AMC squeeze. But um, oh, did you? <laughs> I did a little bit. But, but What's a little? Uh, yeah, we're two, talking three hundred, zero, a few hundred um, thousand. No, a few. <laughs> Just, no, 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 no. no, I made I made a few hundred off the MC squeeze and off the Doge squeeze. But um, but uh, Dude, my man. But, but I'm just following Reddit trends. But uh, but AMC sucks. I mean, they do suck. That's why we were squeezing them. Is well, that's why they were squeezing them. But uh, but they they really it just I don't know what it is. They robbed it of all culture. Um, I think they got kind of like um snobby too. Yeah. yeah. Like the the problem with that bartender that you're articulating yeah. is kind of like the thing about a bartender is you have a lot of power. Yeah, that's a power like position, and you know if somebody's rubbing you the wrong way, you could be like, wait, yeah, and uh, you know when everybody knows an alcoholic, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're well, uh, <laughs> well but the, the 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 bar at the at the Kabuki is like nice. You should have a little more personality, and you should and you should have a little more energy. And I get it. I don't like my job every day either. But <laughs> but bartender is like a job where you talk to people, and if you're at a movie theater. And you're a bartender. You should know drinks and movies. Those are the mm-hmm. two things you should. Anyway, you walked up. You were a high as hell on shrooms. Yeah. You had your little moleskin <laughs> notebook. I was coming up. You're cross-eyed. You probably had blood coming out your nose. Yeah. And then you're like, hey, man, you seen Candyman? Can, I, like, <laughs> can I come here, please? He's like, listen, sir, I don't know how you wandered in here, but... Um, 
Yeah. Well, uh, last thing about theater, since we're talking about it, first of all, I will always say, I also, in that notebook that I gave to my sister-in-law, I had a Nick's top 10, just my 10 favorite things in San Francisco. Number one is the Balboa Theater. It's my favorite fucking place in the world. Um, and if you go to the Balboa Theater, which you should, and you play on your fucking phone, I will I will embarrass you in front of everybody by going up to you and asking you to get off of it. I had a guy who looked at me like he wanted to fight me at the French Dispatch because he was in like the third row on his phone. And I walked up. I'm always polite. I take the Dalton Wilcox Roadhouse approach. Be nice until it's yeah, time yeah. to obvious. I said, can you please put your phone away in the middle of the movie? And he looked at me. Ooh, it gives me yeah. anxiety <laughs> yeah. thinking about that. He, he just he just stared at me and then he put it away. And I said, thank you. And I went and sat down and I kept waiting to get like sucker punched or something. <laughs> and, I, and and nothing happened. But, uh, but you know. Um, Do they have a like no phone policy yeah, now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, any, let, let me put it this way. If you are one of the like ADD people who cannot stay off your fucking phone, back row back row yeah, and hide. then and then no one cares you know but like i sit in the front because i like to not get anxiety from worrying about what other people are doing oh dude and so i sit right there with you and so i sit in the front so if there are some people on their phone i'm not going to notice and it won't bother me but this guy was in the front on his phone so i had to say something yeah. and it's the french dispatch which by the way i know randy saw it it's a movie that uses darkness as part of the filmmaking language so there are scenes where it's like there's just a candle yeah. And it's like dark. And so a phone completely <laughs> ruins the fucking effect of that movie. You know, you know I think I think you would uh, alleviate anxiety if you told the Balboa like, hey, up top, have a thing. No phones. They uh, well, they do. Harry will regularly kick people out. OK. Chloe will regularly like mention it's people. Uh, Malcolm will regularly mention it's people. They've given me permission. This is not official, but they've nudged me permission to pretend I work there. So, cool. uh, so I will sometimes tell you deputize. Yeah. So I'm deputized. So I'll sometimes tell people like, Hey, I'm with the management. You can't be on your phone here. You know? Um, and they're like, show me your badge. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Dude. Hey, you know what? I appreciate you for that because yeah. I mean, I've told the story before, but I've been at the Alamo during a live performance, uh, where we had two girls sitting next to us and Oksana, she's the vicious one. Mm -hmm. Like if we're in the theater and you're doing something wrong, you'll make her mad before me. We're in the third row and they're having like outside volume conversation with there's like a live band right oh, there yeah. doing God. the soundtrack to the God. movie. No, these conversations they go. Also, so like, what happened? I'm going to yell at them. And I'm like, I'm like, don't, don't do it. Did you yell at them? I, I had to lean I, over him and I was like, can you shut uh, up? Well, she did. So one of the Alamo staff that was not working came up from the back row, walked all the way down and said, hey, shut the fuck up. Now, here's the other thing. I have a theory. Yeah. All these people that are, they're so easy. They, yeah. They're just so comfortable doing that. Yeah. They're all from the fucking East Coast. They, they're, Is that a Bay Area thing? I feel like I'm a coward. And here's the thing. So I started working out because I didn't want conflict. Sure. I'm like, oh, maybe if I look a little intimidating, yeah. people won't, uh, you know, try and fuck <laughs> sure. with me anymore. And you know what? It's mostly worked. Yeah. Also, it's also made me a coward. <laughs> Where it's like, if somebody's talking... I'm I'm trying to hold back Oxon. I'm like, don't do it. It's, it's all it's times. all bark for me. I'm not a fighter. I just uh I I stand tall, I speak straight, and I ask nicely. Yeah. I, I got pepper spray if it gets to that, but like I'm not I'm not about to like fist the cuffs outside, put your fucking phone away or leave. Dude, you, you know? got the Viking look, I'm telling <laughs> right, you. Right, but uh, but you know You're a Nordlinger, dude. I've most of the time, and I want to say this is splits along gender lines negative in our direction <laughs> but both people men and women uh, and others will all be on their phone every uh, there's there's phone movie theater people from every gender identity mm -hmm. when women are on their phone 
with or without people with them, and I go up and say, will you please put your phone away? They yeah. always say, sorry, and put it away. When it's men, there's a standoff oh. every fucking time. Every fucking time. And the and and it's it's doesn't have to be a thing. I'm just like, I get it. You thought you could get away with it yeah. and you can't. So and 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 I have had important phone calls while I'm in a movie and I run into the lobby. I hate missing the movie, but I'm not gonna fuck up everyone's night. I get it. You know, so like you know, here, here's the thing. At Uff, the unnamed footage fest that we do at the Balboa, never one time have we had a phone problem. Except there was one time, and it was my fucking dad. I will never... He came in... Now, here's the thing. He's not a moviegoer. He came in five minutes into this goddamn movie. He's the only person who ever... He took the, he took the call in the theater. I oh went, are God. you fucking Damn. kidding me? I think he fucking walked serious. out, too. I wasn't in the theater. He walked out the on the goddamn phone. But he, like, he left the... Th- yeah, and this was, like, before... Before oh he was, like, out, going out at all really so this was like an event to go to the movies and it's like you didn't even put that shit on silent it's ridiculous like, no. it's ridiculous oh my god i don't i don't get the mentality stop. of it i mean i'm a dick though and i i recognize that and you know god bless the people who tolerate me but i um you know if i'm watching a movie with people in a house not even in a theater and someone pulls their phone out i'll passive aggressively pause the movie and i'm like oh you obviously have something you need to deal with so we'll <laughs> so, oh, you, he, react, I, he does that no, too here's the thing i it you really have to push me far for me to shut down a movie like that <laughs> i i just i in my head i'm imagining I, you know i have no frame of reference it's just in our theater yeah and nick doing that and me just like kind of sinking in my seat being like fuck yeah but also being like oh i couldn't do that if someone were to like excuse themselves to go text that's yeah. fine i wouldn't pause it but if someone's like in the seat with us all in the dark and the movie's on and they pull out their phone and start like scrolling and, it, and if it, maybe if it was a quick text i'd give them like two minutes if yeah. it was like a quick text they send it and then it goes away we're good but if they're like playing you know candy crush then i'm pausing the movie and being like can you maybe do this another time yeah <laughs> no you know uh last week we had our first guest host uh terrell who whom i love and uh you know we do his blu-ray show i remember this conversation now, here's the thing this motherfucker is the number one offender having his goddamn phone out. Sure. Now, you know, he might be like an influencer. I'm air quoting right here on Instagram. Sure. So it's kind of like a job. This motherfucker, he'll have his phone out and I'll pull my phone out almost like passive aggressively. And then I hear right away, not missing a beat. Oh, you look bored over there. And I'll look up ready to be like, oh, you're on your phone. It's gone. <laughs> he, it's like he's got like fucking prestidigitation. You're, the phone. And I'm like, you set me up. You're getting gaslit over there. <laughs> for sure. And, and I fall for it every goddamn time. Well, it depends on what you're doing. Because don't get me wrong. Sometimes when I'm posting like 31 days of horror for October, I will pull my phone out a lot during home viewings to like record a choice scene of the movie. Ooh. But I'm interacting with the movie. Yeah. I'm like, oh, let's get this on Instagram. Like we're watching this movie. I want to put this shot mm-hmm. in, on Instagram. Um, it's one thing if you're, or like, you know, God bless a lot of my family members want to look up an actor while we're in the middle of watching a movie. Yeah. I'm a little more forgiving of that. Cause we're interacting with the movie. We're like, what was she in? Hold but you, but you have to yeah. learn that. Though. Yeah. 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 Some people take their phone out like the regular host on the show. Every, if he's into a movie, you know, because he'll take his phone out. You know how long it took me to learn that? Yeah, like, and there'll be time where I'm looking over and I'm like, oh, do you, what do you, you're not into this? And he's like, I'm on IMDb, dude. And yeah. I'm like, no, it's how some people show love for a movie. I get it. You first of all, don't ever do that in a movie theater. No. <laughs> this should be this should be fucking obvious. But um, you know, it's some people they they're researching about it or or like, you know, they're filming a scene from it. That's fine. It's the complete like the guy in the French dispatch was texting mm-hmm. and then repeatedly checking his phone for if someone had texted him back. You know what's bizarre is I've seen a lot of people like at um 
movie cineplex like like the tan fran theater or something they just have their phone on their lap and it's constantly lighting up and it's bright yeah and they're not doing anything oh, on it they don't even notice it of course that happens and it's always at the corner of my and i'm like <laughs> like what is that yeah no no don't get me wrong at, at like no offense to like multiplexes but like yeah it's tan fran stonestown century 20 that shit's gonna happen you know like well, balboa save that shit who, who was it i remember there was like a coo of a company that was like we're gonna lean into it and we're gonna make theaters friendly for phone this was I a think while it was ago amc what i only remember because fuck? um <laughs> i think you're right it was amc and i remember because fucking uh the alamo came out with the statement they're like this is the most offensive thing i've ever heard that's they're not the, a real movie theater. that's the stupidest shit i've ever fucking heard that also has like very okay boomer vibes to it they're yeah. like they're like these dumb kids they got add they can't stay off their phones like listen that is the subtle ageism of lowered expectations oh i love it these kids can stay the fuck off their phones yeah. okay they, they they pretend like they're addicted dude you're you know who's the most addicted to phones? Boomers. Okay. Yeah. More than anyone. People can put their phone away for two hours. Also, I go to the movies instead of watching it on streaming because I want to forget the outside world exists. Right okay? there with you. So I don't want any reminder. Um, and the Balboa is my special place, and I can't gatekeep it because I really do want it to be a place people continue to go. Um, and people like patronize and keep in business. But if you come to the Balboa theater, you come correct, you know, and you, and you come to watch the movie. And if you want to be on your phone, there's, there's a few arcade games in the lobby. You can hang out there. There's a couch you can sit on. You can play on your phone there. Okay. But when you're in the theater, you're watching the movie. And if you can't stay off your phone during the theater, back row, back, back, back row. And then I don't give a shit. No one's going to see you. You, you know, know, honestly in the big, big theater, the back row is kind of a cool, like, yeah, like if it's not a like loaded up movie, yeah, and just your friends are back there, you can actually get away with like almost like a living room kind of setup where you're just sure. kind of hanging out. Plus, since there's the handicap seat, there's a little light, so it feels more like a living yeah. room. However, think about it that way you might be actually being ableist if you're playing on your phone in front of the person <laughs> in a wheelchair. So, I'm talking back behind even the handicap seating, yeah. Like, row and then when you're back there i'm not going to be like hardcore about you being on your phone now one thing about the balboa if you're in that back area you know what would drive me crazy the the door is there a door stop on that one now because i know uh when people come in and out that thing nobody holds the fucking door mm -hmm. and i know you probably do mm -hmm. and i do because i'm terrified of ruining the experience sure. for people but they'll come in bust through that thing and if you're in the back row light just like and then you up. hear it bam like every time it shuts. I, i'm into it it kind of shows a uh it kind of shows you get like you're in the middle of the movie and you forget the world outside and then you suddenly get like a little hint of like oh yeah san francisco's right there yeah. i forgot about that for a sec anyway we should probably get to david lynch shouldn't we oh oh <laughs> that's why you showed here i thought we were gonna have a lot of interesting conversation and you wanted to hang out with me oh I we're do. gonna let all the lowbrow people we're turning off all their mics <laughs> <laughs> and uh, clearly, uh, you're just a man of well, a taste. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on one sec. Actually, uh, let me say one last thing. When the fuck is the Castro Theater opening up again? Is it ever opening? They have they have seemingly completely ruined what they used to be. And Noir City is actually happening in the East Bay this year. Oh, oh, okay. Now the rumors I heard on the street were that uh, even people really close that used to do write ups for the calendar and stuff have heard nothing about uh regular screenings coming back and i but i had heard that they were just going to turn into like an event center that's what i've heard for too. noir city no, so if noir not city's even. not going to be there i and my heart is fucking broken because i loved the castro theater yeah and apparently uh, word on the street this is not official look it up 
Um, you know, I know the Balboa handled the pandemic just about as well as they could have. Oh, dude, they, they, they did thrived. All, they did online they made it screenings. Work. They turned into a t-shirt brand. They did their popcorn pop-ups. Yep. I like loved them in their absence. Meanwhile, apparently the Castro fired like fucking everyone. This oh. is, like the second that the, the pandemic I hit. Think the same thing happened. Well, they didn't fire everyone, but the um, Stanford. However, oh, yeah, the and Stanford I, I grew up, TBA. I grew up, uh, I grew up near the Stanford. Apparently <sighs> there's one event on the Castro's calendar, December 10th. Super Wolves. What the fuck? It's is a that? band. Yeah. So they're just a concert venue now. That's the only thing <sighs> right now. You know, I I feel bad too because we're uh, we're of the very Bay Area culture, sure. where uh, you live in your car, you yeah. drive around, yeah. And the Castro, not a f- parking friendly place, no. but neither is the Balboa. Yeah, the Castro is a great place for my place to just hop on. No, the Balboa you can park if you, you go. Can, for you a can late make show. them both work. Yeah. But it's not now. Here's the other. Here's the thing I wasn't going to mention. We're uh, we make late look good over yeah, here, yeah. and me and Oksana are always fashionably late. Randy, do not laugh at that. You I ruined, fucking asshole. I ruined him. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to blame you. Now, here's the thing. We're not making it like on our on time. It's like ten minutes late, and at the Castro, we really got to leave like an hour early. Yeah, you're you're like forty minutes late if you're but ten minutes late. The thing there. was, the Castro always had intelligent dynamic programming they always did a double feature yep. i remember i saw the I exorcist saw four movies in a day once there the exorcist and the babadook together oh, and i was cool. like weird and you go there and you watch it and you're like somebody knows what the fuck they're doing here yeah and i just think ticket sales have to be down it's probably a lot of work to do that to get prints in there well when you said that the stanford is also having issues and by the way i grew up within walking distance of yeah. the Stanford Theater. It's a huge part of my well, childhood. Just, like, well, but like they're both similar theaters. They're both old fashioned, enormous yep. theaters. <laughs> well, now here's the thing. Um, I know we're very, like we're very San Francisco talk right now, but anybody out there come out to the city. We have yeah. a fucking great film culture. Come to the Balboa, stay off your phone, have a beer, watch a movie and uh, play, play gyrus in the lobby. We want you to come. Right. Yeah. Now, the thing, the difference between the Stanford and the Castro's, the Castro was very modern yeah. and they had like, dude, they had great taste. They yeah. would do sing-alongs. Yeah. Like it was very current. I've been Stanford. They're in a time machine yeah. in a beautiful way. In a beautiful way, but also in a way where you're like, really? We're doing like a Frank Capra fest. I, you know? <laughs> I know. It's kind of tone deaf, yeah, yeah. but at the same they will, time. They will still show Breakfast at Tiffany's and everyone will laugh at the yellow face. Yep. Like, like it, it, I mean, late into my life, that would happen. Oh, dude. Hitchcock, you get some. Uh... Keep in mind, I grew up in Palo Alto, so I have some of my most inceptional formative memories at screenings of of Stanford theater movies mm-hmm. like like in the back row with my 14 year old girlfriend watching Wizard of Oz just like Rad. oh just like gore like I will never not love that place yeah but it is it is like old person movie oh theater. for sure one time I walked in there Stanford theater I go in I was going to see uh, fucking Jimmy Stewart Western I forget what it was called um which one it was it was one where it's like he's got a he's a bounty hunter I'm oh, forgetting the name oh, I think it's the one we watched um, yeah we've seen a couple of it them. was in a double feature with another movie called Broken Arrow and I remember going in there I think it was there y- you might have been yeah and I was going I think it was called the quiet gun or the quiet I don't know but um Jim, Jimmy Stewart Western not how the West was one the other one um but I go in and there's this old woman in a wheelchair. And I remember her saying like, are you coming for the picture? Do you come to see a movie? I just saw this film. It was called the broken hours in Technicolor and everything. And I, and then we, we get up to the seats and my high school girlfriend at the, at my girlfriend at the was time. Was it Winchester? No, it wasn't Winchester. And it wasn't how the West one. It was called like, it's on the thousand one movies list. It's called like the, I think the, the, the naked spur, the naked spur. There we go. That's the one. Thank you, sir. Yeah. So it was the naked spur and the broken arrow. 
we get in the lady's like the broken arrow it's a technical it's amazing and we get up to our seats and me and my high school girlfriend are like did that woman just wake up <laughs> like, <laughs> have you been to the new nickelodeon <laughs> yeah. can you believe it the picture house is showing a movie it's technicolor and everything it's a western yeah now I, you know my theory <laughs> That's where those people go to be safe the stanford i think uh is kind of aware of that too i mean god they'll have like a truffaut museum next door that honestly was my favorite thing they have all the old prints sure and uh I think they know that most of their audience is just incredibly old. I saw. And during COVID, I don't know if they wanted to roll those dice. Dude, so. they had, this is like still or back when I was 14. So they might've changed their result. They had a Ronald Reagan fest there once. And I mean, that's interesting. Don't get me wrong. We should do that. I don't know if I've ever seen a movie so, with him in oh it. Oh God. So you think that like, oh, you know, I didn't love him as a president, but maybe he's a good actor. Dude, his, his politics and his film career are undivorceable. And what I mean by that is I went and saw a movie of his called The Girl from Jones Beach when I was 14 on a date with a girl. <laughs> uh, bad choice. That's a movie about how there's a, a school teacher who he keeps trying to convince to pose in, in, um, swimsuit ads um, and she's like, no, I want to be valued for my mind. He goes, but you're hot. And, <laughs> and, then, and then at the end of the movie, she literally says, I should have realized a woman could never be valued just for her mind. Like that's the she's, message. Oh, so of she the learned. Film. He taught yeah, her. By he the taught end. her. And then at the end, he's like, just be hot. You're hot. And like, and like, that is the movie. And they showed it to a, a, a just a, an overjoyed crowd, a crowd that was like, yes, this is what movies used to be. <laughs> that's so funny. I mean, I, Acting and politics are not far apart. No. You're and, just playing the part. And, and and that's why he got elected is because he was Mr. Old School American Values. You yeah. Know, like, listen, she might be a t school teacher, but she's also fucking hot. Well, that. that's the whole struggle. It's just a tug of war. Yeah. It's like, how far forward into the unknown do we move? And then people get scared and they're like, pull it back. We mm -hmm. got to pump the brakes. And then we go and we stop completely. And it's like, well, we're not doing anything. So yeah. then we go. The uh, first time I saw Breakfast at Tiffany's was at the Stanford Theater. And I... The whole crowd was laughing at the uh, the yellow face bits, and I was at an age, maybe sixteen, where I was like, "What the fuck is happening?" And, and they're like, "He's supposed to be Asian," and I was like, "What? He's just wearing like buck teeth and a hat." And they're like, "I don't even remember." It's it. so racist. It's un <laughs> it's it's unbelievable. And this crowd wasn't like booing or going like, "Ooh," you know. It's like nowadays they would probably bring someone out to be like, "Hey, we're gonna show this movie," but like just be yeah, aware. no, people were just laughing, genuinely laughing. Yeah, and it was like I remember. You know, when you're a kid with like early forming progressive ideas, but you haven't quite like got the vocabulary yet, mm -hmm. it's just not funny. It's not like offensive, but it's more just like, I don't get what this is. Like, well, I think, I think that's general audiences kind of like working through their own anxieties yeah. where it's like, you, I mean, clearly you're a thoughtful dude. So when you see something like that, you're probably thinking about it. It's where an audience might be like, whoa, that makes me uncomfortable. I didn't think, see this coming. I think I think that it was so racist that I couldn't even tell that it was racist. Because I was so, like, what's going on here? What do you what do you think we do with art like that? I think you show it with context. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's totally fair. Yeah. And yeah, because and you, you don't force everyone to watch it. Yeah, like you don't go like we're gonna all get together for a neighborhood parking lot screening of Breakfast at Tiffany's because like there's a huge Asian population that's gonna be maybe have their feelings hurt by that for sure. And you shouldn't do that. So I think that for art that's problematic, you make it so it's opt in. Mm -hmm. You don't censor it, 
and you contextualize it. You yeah. know, like that's that's all I think you do. You mean you don't release press releases about how you're banning it from some streaming platform to return it yeah, well, that's ten just days fucking, later with a disclaimer? What happened? What? So, see, my problem with that is it's just like corporate virtue signaling. Yeah, are you talking about Gone with the Wind? Yeah. Well, yeah. See, see, they they eventually did the right thing with that, with like they just put an intro, but you can still watch it. And it's the same thing with the, there's like blackface episodes of Mad Men where they put like an intro at the beginning. It's like just so you know, there's blackface in this episode, but like we think it serves a historical you know Good. point. However. A lot of, you know, episodes of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, episodes of The Simpsons are mm-hmm. gone. They're just gone. Yeah, they just remove them. And, um, and I would much rather, like, one of my, I've been watching a lot of classic Simpsons. Who doesn't love classic Simpsons? And I, I love Stark Raving Dad, which is the episode that has Michael Jackson in it. Oh. And they just pulled it. And I would much rather have them be like, just put a little disclaimer. Just yeah. be like, hey, Michael Jackson's a problematic figure in history. <laughs> uh, you know, at this time, at this time that this episode was released, he was a prominent celebrity. It really speaks to the culture of the early 90s. I hope you enjoy with a historical eye, Stark Raving Dad. And because I, I want to watch that episode, yeah. but it's gone. You know? Well, you know, it's interesting because the way that you talk about like uh prompting people is the way they should. But I feel like, you know, in our aggressive kind of clickbait culture, they go the other way where they're like, we know Michael Jackson's a demon and watching this could hurt you. So you need to buckle up and get ready. And then you kind of like set up this expectation. And when you go into it, people are just like the horror, you know what I mean? And it's like, no, no, no. You just tell people like, Hey, I know there's mixed feelings here, but no, exactly. I mean, just contextualize it and don't force people to watch it. That's my whole, that's my whole thing. Like gone with the wind, even as a kid, uh, and I saw that movie in like a revitalization in theaters. I, I must have been like 10. I was like, wait a minute, mom. These are the bad guys. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, no, look how happy they are. Like, this these, is these are the fucking bad guys. And she's like, yeah, but it's seeing things from their perspective. And even yeah. at that age, I was kind of like, oh, okay. So you can watch a movie from sort of like the wrong side of history. Yeah. As long as you watch it with that in mind. Well, and you, know? you can have that conversation too. Yeah. And be like, hey, this doesn't feel right. And they're yeah. like, well, I mean, it was skewed back then. Right. And just like, you know, I'm going to get into HP Lovecraft in a minute. You know, I love to recommend HP Lovecraft to young kids who are getting into horror. They're like, Perfect. hey, I'm really into horror. What should I read? I always say Pikmin's model, HP Lovecraft. Great Ooh, place. I love it. Great place to start. I want you to know going into this that he was a white supremacist. And, uh-huh. I, and, and, and you got to know, I'm not going to hide that. Like, know that that informs his sensibilities and it will help you have a better understanding of what he's doing. If you criticize him from that perspective. Now, hold on. Let me push back on you there. Do you think he was a white supremacist? I feel like he was a chronically depressed bigot. Yeah. But I think he just hated humanity. What's the difference? You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, white supremacist, I guess you have like an agenda or an ideology. Like I like white people. Lovecraft didn't like white he was, people. He was a form of white supremacy that almost doesn't even exist anymore, which is an Anglophilia where he believed in like British descent. And I'm oh, saying yeah. he was a white supremacist in the sense that he didn't like like Italians. Like, no, he, like no. he, he was like people of British descent was his whole deal. And he definitely ascribed, subscribed to a lot of the beliefs that later became popular with the Third Reich, which were, um, you know, racial purity, keeping immigrants separate in separate For communities. For sure, yeah. And it came out of being a fucking lonely weirdo. I mean, he was like a, the original incel, as people often say. Well, he's got that, like, he, he's got a romance for England that oh, is yeah. just so unhealthy. It's, it's weird. Um, and, you know, it's the same thing with, like, I my mom um, watched a lot of uh, BBC and masterpiece theater shows as a kid. Once again, even as a little kid, I had studied just enough about like British colonialism to be like, "Mom, 
Um, these are the, bad, <laughs> the, the, the these are the bad guys, you know, like like Dude. shows that take place in like colonial India. I'm like, these are bad people. Like, <laughs> you know, you know what's funny is like uh, earlier we were talking about like D and D and tabletop, sure. and that whole like the way you tell a story in D and D is just through colonialism. Oh yeah, and we're playing in a game now called Adventure Conquer a King, where you can actually establish basically like your own feudal system, where you own a six mile hex and you extract taxes, right? Right. But it's like this feudalism that's run by a hero. Sure. So it's like, oh, I I killed uh you know the green dragon over there, yeah, and uh, I am now the ruler. And you build a fortress, and people come, and you get taxes from them. I think the the whole fantasy genre, including I'm not I'm not taking anything away from it. I fucking love fantasy. Um, originates from J.R.R. Tolkien. He's kind of the guy who like birthed the whole thing. Who was a you know he was down with the crown, you know, For sure. so he was like espousing the values of colonialism and British, you know, British values with good values. So like, you know, if someone's a Lord of a fief, they probably deserve it with yeah. sort of the mindset that then informed fantasy, you know? Yep. And you can see that throughout most fantasy, you know, I'd say game of Thrones was somewhat critical of that. You see a little bit of critical of that in some of the romances of fantasy, but yeah, you know, I mean, that's the, and, and it's fine. It's fine. It's just like when you read Robinson Crusoe, where it's like, it's cool to like, you know, find a way to make it work on a desert island, um, even if that is like a colonial fantasy. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, it's fun to engage with that, like that thought process. You know, <sighs> you know I, again, I got to plug your show. You guys did a great episode on Tolkien. Oh, thanks. I believe, uh, was it in the Wizards one that you got into the... No, it was, it was called Animated Tolkien. And we talked about Wizards in the context of Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And... Um, Thank the dark hippiedom, which I'd never heard before. Oh man, I loved it. Go listen to that. Um, I uh, I also, while reading through the Lord of the Rings, while researching that episode, I bought a Gandalf pipe and I learned to blow smoke rings. Just because he does it all the time in the book. And I how, like, how do you do a smoke ring? You gotta pop your lips. You gotta pop, 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 and that's how you do it. Just because in the book, it's constantly describing Gandalf like as this fucking weirdo hippie <laughs> blowing smoke rings all over the place. Yeah. Dude, how weird is it, though, that Tolkien uh, decided that he wanted to represent his people with The Hobbit? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I get it because it's this idyllic... Dude, The Hobbit. Okay, perfect example. We are talking about politics. I'm going to bring it in. The Shire yeah. and anarcho-communism. Like, they they do not produce profit there. They are just living. You know, they spend all day yeah. eating and lounging. And it's a little idyllic, and maybe he's criticizing them a little bit, like lazy so-and-so. Yeah. But The Hobbits live in a a communist utopia. It's never, I don't think, okay, Tolkien nerds are going to come for me. So please, <laughs> so please do, but uh, don't worry. They I don't do, listen to do, this show. Do, do, do <laughs> hobbits have currency? I don't think they do. I think they just share resources as they need them. And uh, uh, food. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, they yeah. trade food yeah, all they day. They just trade shit and they party all day and they maybe work like a half hour a week or something, you know, like that's it. That's it. And then, and then all the strife and the struggle goes on outside of that. And so it's almost like, you know, Tolkien was taking like Rudyard Kipling's fantasy of colonialism and being like, one day you got to leave your nice little village and you got to go like crusade into yeah. the world of the lesser beings, you know, which has got its own overtones. But it was a really interesting way of couching all these ideas, you know? That's interesting because yeah. I always thought he was articulating like the problem with like Western culture mm -hmm. where it's like things work so well that everybody becomes weak. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like some nationalist, like we are the sleeping dragon. Yeah. And yeah. it takes so much for us to stir up before we get out on the battlefield. I mean, the number one theme of those books is anti-greed and like, oh, yeah. you, you just need to have enough that you can live nicely and like live in the Shire and then 
there are people who never have enough and they want more and more power and more and more gold and more and more riches. And you have to eventually rise up and break free from your nice little existence and defend yourself from those forces, you know? Unless you're a dragon. <laughs> well, and then you're just comfortable on your wealth, but you never spend it. Yeah, right. Exactly. The dragon. Which, you know, I heard on your show and I fucking loved it. That's I'm what, like, that is the metaphor. That's what dragons always Dragons represent. accumulate wealth, hmm? but they're not even like... They sit on it. They don't even have any way to use it or no. anything. They just... They just sit on it. What yeah. a cool... I, again, I'm a huge fan of your show oh. and I'm glad that you could come... How... Is everybody still here? Oksana, Randy? I'm sorry. I'm here. talking so long. I'm, 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 I got to do my teacher move and say we should probably uh, move it along. All right. Well, you're the host today. So, I'm a uh, bad host. Let's move it along. We, we do have another guest it, here today. And I know... If any, if any listeners are still listening, we really have a wonderful voice here to bring in. Uh, one of my favorites. And I really am excited to hear what he has to say today. Go ahead and call him in. Uh, David, David, um, will you come uh, share with us what you've been up to today? Good morning. It's November 28, 2021, and it's a Sunday. Today is day four of the long weekend. And the last day of the long weekend. I hope all of you have been enjoying some great projects. Today I'm going to be working with wood, pine wood, electrical wire, epoxy clay, and resin. Everyone. Okay. Have a great day. I was worried you passed out there. Oh, okay. God bless you, David. Thank you for visiting. I really appreciate it. Here, but ha let's have a glass of wine on David. Oh, I'm thank pass you. This, pass this right <laughs> what here. kind of wine you got? This is a this is a Cabernet Sauvignon from Kings Mountain, Santa Cruz. Uh, Randy, I'll pass one through the screen for you. Uh, oh, <laughs> what are we gonna do with David? Oh, I got a beer. He, he left. left. David took off. It's okay. Uh, uh, Randy will drink it. Oh, Randy's got beer. No, I'll drink it. Um, I just think it's so cool, by the way, because I did fill up my... I meant to say this to you downstairs. I did fill up my Thanksgiving week off. I didn't even get a week off. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, today. Um, I did fill it up with projects to the point that I barely had any time off. <laughs> I was just like working on my novella, working on the turkey, working on a cranberry tart, working on reading about anarcho-communism awesome. <laughs> and some other stuff that I'm going to talk about. And it's like tomorrow work starts again. And I'm like, fuck, I didn't, I didn't relax for a second. Except when I watched Big Little Trouble in Little China that one morning, you know, it was like my one chill moment. Um, but as the teacher who's been, by the way, what I just did with you, Russ, is a perfect indication of my teaching style some days in the worst way, which is on Tuesday, I didn't have much of a lesson plan. The kids came in. We had just uh, read a Russian folktale called The Soldier in Death about a guy who puts death in a bag. And I just asked the kids, what do you think of the story? And they started talking. And usually I'd be like, okay, enough of that. we got to move on. And I didn't. And I just let it go. And they talked for 50 minutes. And I said, okay, guys, that's class. And so, that's rad. <laughs> so sometimes I'll just like let the conversation go and fill up an entire hour of class Wait, time with so it. so death in a bag? Yeah. Like metaphorically? Yeah, or It's personification, which is what we're studying. You know? The, oh, like, okay. Like he puts death in a bag and then no one dies on earth. And uh, See, Here's the thing. I, I am a huge enthusiast when it comes to like narrative, like oral stories sure. or visual. But I have no 
like traditional training or understanding. Sure. So I'm constantly trying to like harass people like you. And I'm like, Hey, can you tell me what postmodernism is? <laughs> well, it comes after modernism. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you dick. Okay. Here, here's the thing. Uh, I did have plugs that we were supposed to do. If you're still listening, which you should, because it's the best episode we've ever done. Um, uh, five submissions are still live. Uh, I'm wearing a safety orange uh, overlook hour <laughs> shirt right now. Those are still up. I have no idea when I'm going to take that shit down. Probably when I remember and I'm not recording. Uh, last week we plugged the Severn podcast. I highly recommend everybody go listen to that. After listening, you know what? Uh, be careful. If you don't have the money, don't go there because they run through every release and why they're doing it and how they obtained it. And you'll, you'll want to turn around and just buy the fucking whole package, which I think we did. That's kind of our Christmas gift to ourselves, right? Yeah. You didn't do it, did you? I did. You didn't, did you? I did. I can okay. show you the receipts. All right, all right. Because they have a uh, slasher movie that stars Bigfoot, oh, Night of nice. the Demon, that we saw at the Balboa. Oh, my God. A classic slasher, right? Night of the Demon? I've heard of that one. Have you? Not. It's not There's Night of the Demon. Not Night of the Demons. Night of the Demon. Uh, in the one you've heard of, does Bigfoot rip a dick off of a motorcycle? I haven't actually seen it. Well, here we go. Yeah. Now, when we get it in here, they they have a three disc release, I believe. Nice. We got to watch it or two disc. I don't remember. Um, also, <laughs> you're you're worried about Tolkien fans. Sure. Uh, a lot of you reached out last week, and uh, this just happened from one of the the hosts of the Seven Podcast that's been on here forever, Zach Zach Carter, um, wanting more of the story about the farting watermelon lady that Terrell told. <laughs> So you know what? Uh, clearly, we're going to lose every listener we've ever had today because oh. we're going to be talking about books and interesting no, things. Please push through this. I, and I got I got more to say. I promise. Okay. So what the hell? I don't. I, I, seriously, I don't know what this is. And you know, me and Clark had talked before about uh, being too local and too inside joke. But one one local thing I do want to plug is that Midnight Mass, uh, Peaches Christ, she's been doing her own podcast, and uh, it's great. She does the one film rundown, and she's so knowledgeable. She's bringing back Midnight Mass as a in theater performance. Um, so they're going to do a live recording of the podcast at the Roxy, oh, yeah. and they're going to be doing um, Phantom of the Opera, Phantom of the. Paradise. Phantom of the Paradise. Nice. So, you know, support her. The last time that we had a Midnight Mass was actually the Final Girls, yeah. which you talked about yeah. earlier. They did it at the Clay, which is now dead. Adam bought it, I think. So what? I, I think that they're going to turn it into a concert venue and have art films in one side and music in the other. This is all tentative. Clay, okay. No, we're not the four star. Oh, no, the four star. I'm sorry. The Clay is the one in the film. Now the four star. Yeah. That's a, we got to talk about that. That's a different, that's sorry, that, Oxana, you're right. I was thinking of the, I was star. like, dude, the clay is the one in the film more. Okay. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. No, I don't know what's up with them. Yeah. What the fuck? I mean, it was so out there in the neighborhoods and there was no really good way to get there, but that's where we met Takashi Miike. You know, they, they had Tommy Wiseau regularly. They no always fucking way. Anyway, picture show in the room. Yeah, they did a lot of cool stuff. Uh, anyway, midnight mass, it's coming up. Look at the Roxy's theater. And, uh, you know, this is my my one part. Uh, I do have a TBR this week. I want to mention briefly that last week when I was covering a film whose name I'll not pronounce, even try to pronounce again. Quite on Kabiki or whatever it was. <laughs> I, I think you did better than me, and you have nothing in front of you to prompt that. Is that is that what it's called? It was it was like quiet quiet in. I have no idea. Anyway, I really wanted to it sounded mention. Sounded really good. I wanted to watch it. There's a real pop group 
that is the lead five girls in that movie. Oh, nice. They're they're an actual pop group. I think Harry had mentioned this film before because it's by the guy who did Naroy, and he said it was like it's a, not, but it's very like it's it. not. By the it's guy not Naroy. Koji. Okay, but it easily could be. Sounds good though. All right, now are you uh, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Right, then uh, here's here's everybody's least favorite segment that I am having so much fun with the guest host trying to get them to mimic the weird little Clark thing. I'm just going to do it my way. Uh, you got to. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want you to try and mimic Clark's because... Couldn't. I mean, honestly, people don't even like the way he does it. <laughs> I couldn't have done it just if I tried. Just between me and you. <laughs> He's All right. to this. And uh, how do I normally start this thing? I'm like euphoric right now. I'm having so much fun <laughs> talking to Nick that I'm like... I'm loving it. Just hit, I, just hit play. I'll say something. I'll right. say something. Uh, like Legend yeah, of Korra. So let's get into it. Do it. And this is the TBR Report coming straight to you from the forest of San Bruno. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I love the old timey radio like vibe you got. That was my steampunk voice. Yeah. Steampunk? <laughs> okay. I could see the gears now. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, this week, d- do we know what number this is? 19. Are you sure it's number 19? I'm positive. I think last week I asked you and you told me 19, so I'm wrong. One of us, whatever. Okay, it's number 19. Uh, the TBR report, of course, is where Thomas Burke, found footage creator and adventurer, uh, has the longest catalog list ever on... Um, Letterboxd. Letterboxd. And I'm sorry, if you follow me on Letterboxd, I've been so bad. I feel a deep pressure to categorize and catalog and review everything I watch. So the list is just building up. I'll get back to it eventually. Anyway, Thomas Burke sent us a new email, this time uh, talking about a French found footage TV series. I'm going to read from Thomas now. My friends, wow, you have to see The Forbidden Files, a French found footage TV series about people's encounters with various supernatural phenomena all over in different areas of the world. This was created in 1989. 19, yeah, 89. There are 14 episodes streaming on the director's Vimeo on demand, each typically running 5 to 15 minutes. It has all sort of sweet supernatural phenomenon that I couldn't recommend any higher due to the fact that the filmmaker seems to be uh, one of the pioneers of found footage. This series is pure genius. Think of it uh, like the Black Mirror show, but from the 80s. It's hard to find out much about the Forbidden Files. It seems that the filmmaker uh, is intending to keep it that way, seeing as it didn't encompass a credit sequence, for instance. I think director Jean-Teddy Philippe created both an authentic and realistic narrative here, some of which I might think might freak people out. It's just brilliant. That's all I've got to say. Now, Thomas, what the hell? You didn't sign off this week. I always look forward to that. Or did you just cut it out? I this accidentally is, did. This is from the this show, Les Documents Interdits. That's the one you sent me, right? Yep. yep. This is from 89. 89, yeah. So I'm interested. He said, trust me, it's worth it, even without the subtitles. Easy to follow and pure found footage horror masterpiece. All the best. TBR, LLC, not a PhD. Here's the thing. I, I'm not sure what which episode it was but thomas is not afraid i told him don't be afraid send me anything he sent me movies that have no subtitles and are you know a feature film and i fucking sat there and watched it and i'm like what am i looking at does he speak other languages than english no you said this guy searches the internet in kanji yeah how he changes his computer shit and looks he i don't know what he does google translate i guess yeah maybe that's a it's a lot of effort god now, so <laughs> he t- here, he's up the ante with this show. He sent me a link to the director's Vimeo, like he mentioned. The thing he didn't mention is it's only for rent. 
and there are no English subtitles. So Thomas, you're telling me pay for a show that I won't understand. And you know what? I'm fucking game for it. Except I learned. I learned that this this like I Thomas, he truly is the found footage adventurer. Sure. He'll be editing a movie and a trailer, watching a movie, listening to a podcast and looking for things on uh, through a Japanese search engine all at one time on five monitors. So I did what he didn't do. I restrained myself. I got a little bit of tunnel vision and I just fucking looked for it on YouTube. I found a channel that has all of them with an English overdub, mm-hmm. which kind of changes it a little bit, of course. but you can understand it. Sure. Thomas, I'm going to shoot you a link probably when we're done recording here, <laughs> but uh, I watched it and I have notes. I don't think I'm going to look at them. Um, I want to open this up. I pulled a little clip. Now the show was French. So what we get is black and white, um, film and they kind of take the form of creepypastas little stories that kind of are recounting a thing that had happened with not a lot of context uh pre or post sure and we get like a you know french voice talking over it the one i found i'm not sure if the vlogger or whoever had uh uploaded these videos recorded it himself but he sounds pretty good so i want to play you a little bit of that just to get a feel of it let's do it This footage was filmed by the sole survivor of the Vega, the Soviet cargo ship which went down in the Indian Ocean on the 7th August 1950. To this day, the circumstances of this tragedy have never come to light, since no distress signal was ever picked up. Following the disaster, this passenger, whose identity we cannot reveal, filmed his daily log. Now, that plays over black and white footage that is being filmed from uh, what looks like a lifeboat. And it's really interesting. I can only think of it in the format of creepypasta, like short story. We just kind of deal with it. There's no major conclusion. But I started thinking... If this VO was or was added post, like yeah. if, if some YouTuber is just like, hey, nobody can understand it, let me record it. That's actually what I think needs to be done yeah. to give it more life. Now, I think this footage is incredibly interesting, especially given the time period, but I don't think it will work with modern audience. Yeah. But I think if you were to have a vlogger kind of tackle this footage and maybe you add another layer of... Uh, like faux research and you're like, Hey, I figured out where they shot this. This is a reenactment. It's fake clearly, but it's based on this thing. And you do some like Google map stuff and maybe some like dark web digging, which I mean, everybody I talk to who goes on tour browser, they say it's incredibly boring. Sure. But I think if you add another layer of separation here, this shit could be modern and incredible. Um, You're saying do it like Charlotte's Net style, or, do what it, kind or, of, or like Butter uh, Butterfly Kisses style. Well, Charlotte, like Butterfly Kisses, yeah, more like it, yeah. except not in a um, feature format like on an online, like mm-hmm. where you have a channel and you're like, "Hey, I'm the found footage." Like if Thomas was to be like, oh, "I'm the found footage guy," and I found this French to, TV show to frame it, yeah, and you recontextualize yeah. it because I think. In 89, there's probably no audience. There's no language for this. Sure. And it, if it worked, it worked. Yeah. Like, I think people look at it and they're yeah. just like, holy shit. But I think we could, uh, we could update it for a modern audience. I do want to mention one thing. So the first story, Shipwreck, is about a, uh, you know, you heard the intro. Yeah. And it's all footage from a guy who's kind of going through a time-elapsed uh, nightmare of being trapped on the ocean. Right. Now, there's a moment where he decides not to shoot a flare gun and get rescued. And you're like, okay, what's he doing? And there's this beautiful moment of visual storytelling at the end where 
it's kind of uh, the Finn moment in um, 300 Blows, and we know we're at the end. Right. And he's swimming away to the horizon. And briefly before, he, he talks about, you know, when you see it, you can't undo it and you can't go home. And the camera's left on the boat and it flips over. And we get like a reverse shot of the ocean as the sky. Oh, that's and cool. I'm like, what a beautiful way to portray like an alien encounter. Yeah. So even when we're doing kind of creepy pasta, you still get that French yeah. visualist. Of course. And uh, so these are all incredibly short, like he mentioned. I think me and Oksana watched the first five. One thing I'll mention, I'm not going to get into any of the other ones. Uh, the locations are a little weird. Like, in especially the link we'll throw up on Twitter. We open up in the ocean. Then we go to a story in the desert. Then we come back to the ocean. Then we go to another story in the desert. And then we do a small town with a witch. So don't let the ocean desert conflict throw you off. Get to the witch one. I think when you get there, you'll be uh, hooked. Did you feel the same way about it? I mean, I was into all of them. You know, I'm... (laughs) I because we do the unnamed footage fest. I always try to think what would the most general uh, coming in talking shit about the Blair Witch audience think, and I I do think this would be a little slow. I think the black and white palette would uh, instantly turn people off. But that's your shit, Russ, and it always has. Been. I love it, <laughs> I, but you you are you have always been the staunch defender of the like slow nature of found footage you know what i mean and yeah. like like people like it's skewed from blair witch blair witch showed what you can do with such minimal you know such minimal input and produce something so successful and then that kicked the genre off but then it went in the paranormal activity direction of doing a lot of jump scares and a lot of mm-hmm. like obvious freakouts but you've always in the in the off been a defender of like going back to the slow roots it sounds like kind of like what this is the slow artistic roots of found footage i mean i bet i bet your favorite found footage movie is noroi i bet it's bet it's up it's, there it's up there yeah, yeah uh koji is probably my favorite found footage director for right. sure have you seen record of sweet murder no Okay, we got another Harry recommendation. No, dude, y'all need to watch it. Actually, Christmas is coming up. Uh, It's a Christmas movie. Believe me, just stick it out. What are you laughing, Randy? I haven't seen it, but it just seems funny. Well, you know what? I trust you. When I fly out there to Atlanta, we'll have a beautiful uh, get together. and We'll watch a record of Sweet Murder. I have my own idea about where I think the found footage genre is headed but i'm gonna get there once we get to reviews because okay yeah so you know this is this is a short one i think it's really easy um if you want to support the director i uh, we could throw up the link to the vimeo too but again they're like they were like three dollars an episode and they're like i think i mean it ranged it was some weird number even the total to rent all of them was like 15 50 something yeah i'd be curious dollar 34 for one of them it's a lot though i mean weird especially with no subtitles again there are no subtitles there the the teaser on his vimeo which is i mean free it's it has that same guy dubbing it so i wonder if oh if that's part of it maybe if you rent it you can have the subtitles. you know what thomas did you were you watching this on mute Okay, and now I'm curious about the VO guy. I came in here assuming that he was not a, just a part of it. But there is, in the the second desert one, it looks like it's shot in San Francisco. Oh, like, yeah. it looks like there's a shot of the Golden Gate Bridge. There's one. It's it's in California somewhere. And, there, and you know, like the uh, French language in the background here was English. And the VO was English on top of it. And I'm like, the thing I love about found footage is even though we are directed through the electric eye of you know what our story should be, sure. it really is shining a light 
on the creation of it. Yeah. So the editor is a big a part. Oh yeah. It's about that. And that's what, you know, Blair, Witch being the one that submitted, of course, the last broadcast and even the thing you're talking about came before Blair, Witch. but the whole point of it was that the filmmaking process is a character in the film. Right. You know, I hadn't thought of this until hearing you right now, but war of the worlds, right. That, that often gets, uh, noted as early, like found footage, the radio show. Yeah. And you know what? I hear a lot of people fight against that because they're like, well, no, it's different in like a number of like hard fact kind of ways, sure. except every time we talk about it, we talk about the creation of it, yeah. not the actual story. Yeah, exactly. No, I agree with you. I think that it, I think that's a great early example. I think that's totally what we're talking about. Same thing yeah. with the Blair Witch. Yeah. yeah Everybody's yeah. talking about the budget. They're talking about how they did it. And it's like, I think that's the interesting thing because when found footage works and you don't know how they made it, then, you know, the Enigma is kind of right there. There was a solid year after Blair Witch came out where people were like, is this real? Oh, for sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, dude, think of like film culture now with context films with like Marvel. Yeah. Like, hey, if you want to get everything out of this movie, you need to check the wiki and watch the previous 22 yeah, films. Yeah, you can't jump in on Infinity War and know what the fuck's going no. on. No. <laughs> and, you know, the creation of the film is like, it's uh, Amblin on steroids where sure. you're just like, lay back. Yeah. We're doing all the lifting for yeah. you. And found footage is hard direction opposite they fucking beanie babied filmmaking they were just like you need to collect all these movies <laughs> and it's kind of beautiful yeah. it's just it's boring to me yeah i find it boring too it's incredibly boring um yeah no i, I agree it's boring but i i think that's a really interesting point i want to mention more about this when i talk about the mandela catalog and what a hell of a recommendation so if you're if you're listening to this i know in the future we're going to throw up tbr as its own little thing online if you're here find the episode it's what 295 and then uh yeah, and if not, I don't know, go to hell. I think, um, is there is there more from the TBR report? <laughs> no, we'll leave it here. I think it's time to throw it to Randy. Well, got, we got an outro track. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm so now sorry. Now say that over it. Okay, go ahead. And now we're throwing it to Randy. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good outro. That was good. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the, wh the whispery. The well, whispery. that's Thomas. Yeah, I love it. It's the only time anybody ever heard Thomas, him talk. Thomas, buddy, I've never met you. You seem like a real crusader in the annals of, of undiscovered film. And I respect that more than I respect practically anything. But Randy in Atlanta, Georgia, right near the Coca-Cola factory, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> Pretty close. Uh, what have you been watching, bro? So this year was my first solo Thanksgiving and, um, you know, had the four days off this weekend. And instead of um, being productive like Nick has been and like David Lynch <laughs> has been, I just decided to be lazy and watch a lot of movies. That is so, productive. That is productive. Watching movies is productive. It is in a sense. Yeah. Um, so I will go through. Sorry, I uh, hit my mic. Oh, come on, man. I know. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm working with a new setup, so I'm not I'm not used to it. Yeah, you're in the um, kitchen. You know, we kind of skipped over you because we were having a highbrow discussion of art. Yeah. Yeah. We were so, talking for too long. They categorized you as living in a prison cell. And I, yeah. I listened on last podcast. Your place looks nice, dude. It looks great. Uh, you know, you could bring a woman over there and uh, she wouldn't be freaked I out. I could. It won't happen, but I could. <laughs> <laughs> she won't make it out is what he meant to say. Also, That's I sort of pointed out you got some uh, art on the wall. I put a poster up, yeah. I also do have art up on the wall. It's just not usually in the field of view. Now, but I put up a, a portrait of Lady on Fire poster. 
beautiful. Also, that poster that shows, I know, a, that shows a woman that you're trustworthy. <laughs> now, the thing is, I know we don't have a video component to show all this. Maybe we will. I apologize for the day we do. But Randy used to broadcast right in front of where that poster was or is now. So yeah, I find it funny. Couch. You threw up art and then moved the location where you're filming. Love well, it. the thing is, I uh, treated myself to a standing desk, so I'm now a standing podcaster again. You've been standing this whole time? Oh, yeah. Dude, that is, I'm so sorry we talked so long. What a true, <laughs> that's some true IT dork shit, Randy. This guy's Randy. building his thighs while I talk about the politics of Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible I switch to a sitting position after I'm uh, done talking. Oh, okay. Yeah, All he right. sat down to take notes because yeah. we're fucking doing it we're over doing here. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is a double period. Also, this wine is great. I'm glad. Let's, I'll refill it while Randy talks about his movie. Oh, so please, pass it over please. if you got an empty. Randy, what have you been watching? So Thanksgiving morning, I um, decided to check out the, this is going to be a segment on the show where I talk about an Abel Ferrara film. Oh, nice. He has a a new film called Zeros and Ones uh, with Ethan Hawke. Um, This is Abel Ferrara's COVID movie that is very COVID heavy. There's a lot of masks in it, um, except for the plot isn't really like a, it's not really like a COVID plot, but also don't even not even sure I understood the movie, but I'll read the synopsis. I from, honestly didn't know he was still making movies. So this is he is. I've liked a lot of his recent movies. This one, um, I didn't dislike it, but I didn't really understand what was happening in the movie. Um, <laughs> Ethan Hawke plays two characters. He plays the main character. And then he plays that character's brother. Um, synopsis in IMDb says an American soldier stationed in Rome. Uh, where the Vatican blew up, embarks on a hero's journey to uncover and defend against an unknown enemy threatening the entire world. Wow. Uh, I didn't really get too much of that in the movie. Uh, There is, like, some pretty CG explosions. Uh, There's a lot of very digital cinematography, uh, and they're shooting in very low light, so they're really, like, pushing the lenses, so it's, like, really grainy and, like, really noisy. I don't know if they stole a lot of the shots, um, there's some actually like really good shots too, though, like of, cause he shoots everything in Rome now where he lives. Um, so there's some really like cool shots of Rome, but there's also some shots that like, yeah, they just push the like digital photography so much that it's just like super noisy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't love it, but, um, big fan of Ethan Hawke and big fan of Abel Ferrara. And I would love to see them work on something that's like maybe a little more fleshed out and not a, a COVID movie. It's interesting to see him still doing stuff. And we're looking at stills from it now. I see what you're talking about with the digital look. Yeah. 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 What was that Tom Cruise movie that they shot at night and they just kept talking about how uh, they, it looks like that to me. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. I'm like long, blanking on I the like name. I like long haired, older Ethan Hawke. Dude. He's kind of, yeah. he's kind of a, he's guy. got some volume in those bangs. It looks good. He, I like it. He looks like an Abel Ferrara character, you know, he does kind of genuinely. Um, very cool. Uh, yeah, um, I don't know. Check it out. It's like a $6 rental on VOD and all that stuff right nice now. It's nice to hear you kind of sing the praises of Abel Ferrara because I'm someone who's similarly kind of gone back and forth with him. Uh, I yeah. love Miss 45. I love King of New York. Um, I There was 
One of the most cheated I've ever felt by a movie that was an Abel Ferrara movie that I saw recently. I did huh. a uh, William Gibson double feature. My Harry, Harry bought me uh, Burning Chrome last Christmas. So this was actually within the last year. I don't know when I did it. But I read through Burning Chrome, which is a series of William Gibson cyberpunk short stories. Who's the king of cyberpunk? The king, the inventor, some yeah. say. Um, and uh, I'm a big William Gibson fan. And so I watched, you know, he's famously hard to adapt to film. And two of his short stories from that collection, Johnny Mnemonic, yep. um, which was made into a Keanu Reeves movie, which is fun. It's definitely it's a, fun. It's weird. It's too. definitely a cheapening of the complexities of the story, but it's a good movie that I recommend because it's it's like very cheesy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, '90s sci-fi fun. Dude, they got a dolphin that's psychic. Meanwhile, <laughs> Abel Ferrara adapted a William Gibson story um, with Asia Argento and Christopher Walken and William Dafoe, New Rose Hotel. What? And New Rose Hotel is a fantastic short story. Like as as uh, literature goes, one of the densest, m- like most most complex world buildings done in the least amount of pages ever done in New Rose Hotel, and one of the most ingenuous film adaptations. I'm sorry, I got to disable Ferrara for a sec. The first hour. <laughs> was okay. It was just kind of grimy Abel Ferrara doing his thing. Very, very exploitative. A lot of lot of explicit sex with Asia Argento. But like captures kind of a seedy, you know, cyberpunk vibe in a cool way. It's not exactly convincing, but it's interesting. This was I swear I don't know what the fuck he was thinking. The last half hour of this movie is just shots you've already seen in the movie from a different angle replayed for 20 minutes or like replayed for a half hour. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I mean, like I feel like Gable Ferrer like gave up midway through production and I I don't get it, man. Anyway, it's good. This is all just to say that it's nice to hear that he's like, recaptured your interest because i know you're a, a discerning film viewer and he must still have some style too. dude news bros hotel sounds amazing it's a great story now, yeah. i've only read neuromancer it's a great book and um i mean i'm looking at this christopher walken william defoe asian argento asia argento like how <sighs> because it's a good first hour and then I think he like stopped production or some shit because like that seriously, it's just a montage of everything you've already seen for the last 20 minutes. I was like watching it. Like, is this for real? Have I been conned into this movie? Like I, I don't know what the fuck he thought he was doing all of a sudden. I feel like Johnny mnemonic has that same thing where like the first hour is probably the best like cyberpunk I've mm-hmm. ever seen on film, sure. like the monofilament wire and sure. stuff. You're like, Oh, it's fully realized. Sure. And then you hit that point where you get the like the riffraff on the street and you're like, we just took a weird turn here. I think cyberpunk's hard to do visually. I think that Neuromancer is a book that the first time I read it, I didn't like it because it was too complicated. And the second time I read it, I finally like my comp- my comprehension kicked in and I was like, this is one of the best books I've ever oh, read. Fuck yeah. Probably anyway, I don't want to get sidetracked. Randy's got another movie to talk <laughs> about. I gotta keep us on track. I gotta be the teacher. Uh, Randy, come on, come on. Yeah, so after uh, I checked out that Abel Ferrara film, I went to the Midtown Art Cinema out here in Atlanta, which is a uh, landmark theater, but it's a it's a pretty cool spot. And I saw the new Mike Mills movie uh, called Come On, Come On, uh, starring, not featuring, Joaquin Phoenix. I will get that right for Clark when he's not here. <laughs> there you go. Um, so yeah, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, uh, his character in the movie, he is like a a radio journalist, um, kind of like an NPR type of vibe. Um, and he's has a couple production partners and they're going to like different areas within the country and talking to like kids about what are their thoughts on the future? Like sort of like hopes and dreams and like fears that they have and stuff like that. 
Um, and then he, while he's on, I think he's in Detroit interviewing kids. He gets a call from his sister who he hasn't like talked to in a little while. And she is having to go up North where her husband is working. Uh, her husband's played by Scoot McNary, uh, who's great in everything. Um, but he has, he's like bipolar essentially. And he's going through like a fit. So she has to go like take care of him and make sure he's like, okay. Um, but you know, uh, his sister and Scoot McNary's character have a kid, um, who is Joaquin Phoenix's nephew. And so he volunteers to take care of the kid, um, played by Woody Norman, who I haven't seen before, but he's like a nine year old kid. Um, I'm sure this is probably like one of his early roles. Um, yeah, so he ends up having to take care of this kid for a little longer than expected. So he takes him around the country with him, uh, you know, doing his like radio, radio production stuff. And so the kid like really takes to, um, like the microphone and the little like mixer that he like carries around with him. So he's like, always kind of like holding it up to like stuff like in, you know, in outside and kind of like hearing things from like different angles and stuff. So the sound design is pretty cool. There's like a lot of like Foley stuff and there's like a lot of attention to sound, but in general, um, I tend to like Mike Mills's movies. He made beginners a while ago. I saw it when I was in community college and then he made 20th century women, um, several years ago, which I really dug as well. Um, beginners was kind of about his father and 20th century women was kind of about his mother. Um, and so this movie, he did a interview on the A24 podcast um, and he kind of talks about how like this is his movie about being an adult or like being a father now um, and sort of, you know, just his, uh, you know, anxieties and kind of like the good stuff about being a father, but the things that like scares the shit out of you at the same time. Um, I don't know. I really dug this movie. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's really sweet. It's poignant. It's not like, it's not like too like over sweet though. There's some like, you know, kind of like difficult stuff in it. And it's just, uh, I don't know. It's great. And I, uh, you know, tend to love Joaquin Phoenix in most things that I see him in. And does he hit anybody with a hammer? He does not. No. <laughs> Randy, wait, what the fuck? There's an A24 podcast. There is. Yeah. It doesn't come out oh, very often. No. Um, they just do a episode. So he, uh, Mike Mills interviews with David Byrne because oh. apparently they're friends wow. and, um, they kind of like interview each other. <laughs> That just sounds like a strange dynamic of energy. I mean, I, I I'd, be, I'd be interested to hear that, honestly. Um, yeah. Also, I don't know how familiar people are, but one of our uh, past guests just got picked up by A24. No fucking yeah. way. Who's yeah. Our that? Homie, any, you got huh? Randy, do you know? No. Our homie, uh, director of fraud, Dean. Oh, really? I, I don't know how widespread that knowledge is. Time but to make a brooding well, horror you know, movie. Here, uh, <laughs> a little behind uh, the curtain. No, he actually made that uh, mockumentary out of a YouTube thing he yeah, did that's called right. Mar Marcel the Shell. Oh, yeah. And it showed at uh, Telluride one time. No fucking way. And then I was like, hey, you know, we got a faux doc thing and fraud played and we would show that. And uh, again, this was all after we were sure. on, on the air. And he was like, well... It showed one time, and we're talking deals with people. If any of them land, they might have the stipulation of, you're done with Film Fest. Mm -hmm. And he's like, if that's the case, then we can't, but uh, I'll <sighs> keep in contact. And then the news came out like a couple days later, A24 picked it up. You got Broadway Danny Rose. Nice. Dude, so fuck <laughs> you, A24. I knew the whole time. You know, was there a cute animal mascot he's got in that movie that they're going <laughs> to exploit? Like, a shell. That's not, what animal is that? 
I mean, it's cute. <laughs> <laughs> they're brooding. It's they're going to do something brooding with it, dude. Okay, so now I think is maybe an okay time since we're in the middle of Randy's reviews and we just brought up a twenty four for me to mention something to Randy, but to everyone really, which is that Randy, I know you're a big fan of First Reformed. Is that right? Indeed, yeah. Okay, love that movie. I've been working on a novella, and Stephen King says never talk about the story you're working on, so I won't. But I will. I, say, I double down on that. Yeah, but I will say that it has religious themes, and it has themes similar to First Reformed about like being in the context of an organized religious organization and thinking about what's the right thing to do, mm-hmm. and is the right thing to do sometimes explosive, literally. Um, agitate, and, agitate, yeah, agitate. Yeah, right. And and like, what responsibility do you have to kind of do the right thing in context? Um, So with that in mind, uh, I was talking to Harry about First Reformed, I think like months ago, and he mentioned, you know, First Reformed is just a remake of uh, Winter Light by Ingmar Bergman. And I was like, what are you you talking about? Uh, He's like, no, it's just a remake of that. It turns out, and I went into it, it is, yes, but it is also, it's not just a remake of one movie. It is a distinct remix of Winter Light by Ingmar Bergman Mm -hmm. and Diary of a Country Priest by Robert Brisson and Taxi Driver by Paul Schrader himself. Yeah. So I watched those movies. I'd already seen Taxi Driver. We all know Taxi Driver, I assume. But I mean, I, obviously, when I saw First Reform, my first thought was, oh, he's like, you know, it's by the guy who did ta- who wrote Taxi Driver and he's doing Taxi Driver, but with a priest. But okay, I recommend both of these movies for people who like brooding European new wave films. And I recommend them to you, Randy. It will be easy for you to find winter light. Diary of a country priest is practically non-existent on the internet. It took me a few days and I got it through some back channels. So if you want it, let me know your email and I'll share you. I have it on Google drive. It's a slow brooding French film from the fifties. Yeah. yeah. I have seen it. I think it may have been on criterion channel for a little while. It was, and they took it down. So okay, Di- I so think I saw it before a, it left. Diary of a Country Priest is the whole aspect of First Reformed where he's writing a diary and he's getting more and more alcoholic and he's yeah. sick. You know, he's like throwing up blood and pissing blood. And yeah. Blood. So that's all the Diary of a Country Priest parts. And that he's like getting closer and closer to God in this morbid way, the more sick and alcoholic he gets. That's directly Diary of a Country Priest. However, Winter Light, which I highly recommend, is about a priest who meets a woman who says, will you please speak to my husband? He's so paranoid about how much China hates us <laughs> that he thinks that there's no point in living anymore. And so he talks to him and he's like, I heard about the Chinese and they're raised to hate. This is from the 60s. Yeah. And he's like, and I heard they're raised to hate us and they hate our Western values. And like, hmm. inevitably, we're going to have total war with China. And so like, why even go on living? Mm-hmm. And in the first reform, they re and then he, spoiler alert, kills himself and and then in and then his existential dread sort of passes on to the priest you know and that is the entire eco anxiety aspect of first reformed just kind of translated to the modern age you know and i if you're a first reformed fan you got to watch winter light it's so effing good and i also want to point out one last little detail um this is something that i'm just it, it delights me in the most morbid sense to no end uh Paul Schrader, who made who made First Reformed, who loves all these European New Wave films and you know remixes them very consciously. If you asked him, "Hey, didn't you just remake these European films?" He'd be like, "Of course I did. That's my shit." Um, yep. He makes Taxi Driver. <laughs> a mentally ill man named John Hinckley Jr. sees this and decides, "I need to shoot Ronald Reagan so <laughs> so that Jodie Foster will want to date me." And then um, 
And then later on, in an era of political unrest and and, and climate anxiety, he's like, I'm going to make another movie like this without any concern for like how it might inspire people like me to be like, I watch First Reform and I'm like, maybe I should, you know, (laughs) get out there, wrap myself in barbed wire and do something very serious to like stop the train from rolling. I want to point out, just point this out for Paul Schrader's sake, for all of our six, John Hinckley Jr. is out He's out and he's free and he's making music, music. on YouTube. Yeah, and he's got a Twitter. <laughs> and I I've, just I just want to recommend everybody follow John Hinckley Jr. Right? I've, actually, <laughs> I've actually heard it's not bad. He he wrote a song huh. called Can We Get Along that I recommend. Like you might want to even like play it out as we like end the show. Because it's like Dude. it's good. And I just want to point out the guy who shot Reagan is out and free and the internet doesn't love Reagan. So he's kind of a hero. <laughs> like people oh, are they so people love him. <laughs> I had heard about this like right when he got out and yeah. I just I the the conversation around it then was how nobody cared. Mm-hmm. And it's like how weird is our culture? Gen Z hates Reagan. Yeah. I mean, or at least like leftist Gen Z. And so John John Hinckley Jr. has some street cred. You know, he's kind yeah. of like, hey, John Hinckley, let's do some music projects together. Like, I've seen people on TikTok <laughs> being like, John Hinckley, you want to collaborate on a track? Like, 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 what the fuck? The fucking presidential assassin has lived through enough eras of American history. I don't know if he's allowed to watch First Reformed. It might be a condition of his release that they're like, no more Paul Schrader movies for Dude, you. Dude, here, okay. <laughs> Again, another tangent, just because of weird cultural things. Did you ever hear about the guy uh, that had the, there was that true crime thing with the guy named Noid? Oh, you, yeah, you remember yeah, yeah. Domino he, Pizza, he, Avoid and, the Noid? Yeah, yeah. And he took a Domino's <laughs> hostage because he was convinced the Noid was about him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Dude, full psychotic break. God, I don't know how. Now, again, I'm talking to you, Mom, uh, as you are the the number one person I know who loves true crime. I can't roll around in that too much. No. I, I know we do a twice a week podcast about horror films. Sure, fucking it's, true crime, it's fiction, man. Though it's fiction, and also, again, I had another epiphany. Every time I listen to you, get into something existential dread narratively makes a beautiful ghost yeah. where it kind of like will possess people. Yeah. And then, you know, once they, it reaches the climax and they kill themselves, it's up for a new host. Yeah. And I feel like when you were talking about that, I'm thinking back to all these movies and I'm like, fuck, do, do people, do they have it? Like, are they cognitive of these ideas or is it just like a trope passed through film? No, I think it really does happen. And I think that uh, John Hinckley Jr. is a perfect indication of this, that that and I mean, that's what First Reformed is about, right? Is like one guy has this uh, this environmental anxiety, he dies and it passes to the priest, right? Yeah. And I think John Hinckley Jr. was the inheritor of Travis Bickle's, you know, like urban angst about New York. <sighs> and then And then I know... Not to get real morbid, and you're talking about true crime, but I know that I've known people who've died, okay, who I've then taken on aspects of their personality in their absence, like genuinely, well, I mean, because I feel like almost I have to be the herald of like who they used to be. Yeah, you like know you're, what I mean? you're yeah. keeping the torch burning. Yeah, exactly. But like with first reformed, now homie dies, right, and the conflict of religion. He it's driven into him as this ghost, and he's starting to look at the environment now, and he's totally taken up by it but sure. you mentioned peeing blood and it's almost like he's expelling the body of christ but it's also that he he sees beyond himself which is true christianity yeah you know, like he lives among a bunch of christian hypocrites yeah who are like listen we're just a church we're just having a good time stop being so worried about doing the right thing you know we're major beneficiaries of of horrible polluters yep. you know but then he's like i'm gonna die any day now you know i'm 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 a walking corpse so like how can i make my death 
and my life meaningful. And I think that that last moment with Amanda Seyfried is him being like, maybe I could just be happy. Like, maybe that's the solution. Yeah, and pain yeah. and pleasure, he becomes yeah. the Cenobite. But for a hot second, he's like, <laughs> for a hot second, he's like, maybe I go out in flames, you know, which is um, interesting because, you know, that is also, it's we see it as a white guy who's American, who's Christian, so it seems like close to home. Mm-hmm. That is the same narrative that everyone in radical Islam went through at one point in their yeah. life, where they were like, I need to be uh, a blood avatar for my true for faith, sure you know and and it almost makes us sympathize with it where it's like you really believed in something man yeah. like you believed in something enough to do that so but we sympathize with that yeah. with, with the longing and purpose sure not usually with the cause right right and well, it's well I, I i'm i'm down with the cause in first reformed i mean i'm down with like hey you know i mean i don't want to kill all these random people in the church but like that polluter guy if you want to take him out you yeah know, like, like that. well i think you would look good in barbed wire too. yeah dude and it's it's, it's, it's yeah you're right he becomes a cenobite that's yeah. like he leans into it but also that's that is the other aspect of christianity that he embraces is there's that whole speech where the guy's like you are always in the garden because that's part of the bible where jesus is in the garden of gethsemane suffering begging god mm-hmm. to take the cup from his hands and he and he's basically saying like christianity isn't all about suffering but it kind of is kind of you is. know and so he like leans into the suffering yeah. and gets really spiritual which is also what diary of a country priest is about this is all to say randy you've seen diary of a country <laughs> priest which is great you gotta watch winter light and you gotta watch John Hinckley Jr.'s music because it's <laughs> fucking great. We'll get him on the show. Yeah. Like, I think I own Winter Light actually, but I think I have like a Igmar Bergman box set that I inherited from uh, my cousin who was really into like art house shit back in the day. Until he grew up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> and had a family, and I'm just the nerd just sitting in my house watching depressing movies by myself. <laughs> Please take care of your mental health. So if you're feeling in a oh, place, dear. if you're feeling in a place where you're like really in the dark, don't watch Winter Light. But if you're, <laughs> but, if, but if you're, if you're feeling like you could wrestle with some heavy ideas, watch Winter Light maybe earlier in the day that you still have some sun sure. left when it's over. Cup of coffee. Yeah, and then walk out into the winter light and remember that you're alive and that you don't need to, you know, live in constant existential dread. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a dangerous drug. But, I but think if you, you die, I will take on your dread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I promise you that, Russ Randy. Will, Russ will inherit your existential <laughs> dread. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds about right. Yeah. I'm sorry, Randy, you uh, had one more movie to review, right? I do, yeah. And just uh, to wrap up, come on, come on. For those of you who know me or listen to the show and uh, think of me as a very emotionless human being, <laughs> I did cry during Come On, Come On. You did? Towards li- the end. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh, okay. Let's pump the brakes here cry uh-huh. openly weep or did you have a tear did your robot was, like, body squeeze out were, some oil were you, were you making noise in the theater <sighs> did people look no at you? but i also don't make noise when i laugh either <laughs> that's true <laughs> that's true i've seen it you yeah. know how i had earlier, like you know how earlier you were talking about yellow right face no you know the yellow face thing yeah. there was an inappropriate moment in uh maps to the stars that i will never let randy <laughs> live down because me and him were there and a very uh, annoying young character who was being self-destructive was throwing yeah. around some words. Sure. And I, Randy left first, quietly, and then I laughed, except I realized <laughs> I was alone on that journey. You let me, you just let me hang there, Randy. Thanks for that, dude. You have a big joyous laugh, you know, and uh, Randy's got the quiet laugh. But you can kind of, you can kind of hear it even on the podcast 
you can hear it because a got, little bit. You kind of yeah. you hear it like go away from the mic. You hear the laugh. Yeah, I, <laughs> I smile and some air releases from my body, and that's about it. I promise I'm not going to get a sidetrack with this, but I just want to say that I went to see Eighth Grade at the Alamo back mm-hmm. when it came out, the Bo Burnham movie. And in the scene, I was with my wife, and that movie. She said most women say that it speaks so accurately to the young girl in middle school experience. And in the scene where she asks her dad does it make you sad that I'm your daughter? And he starts giving her the speech about like, no, like you, you enrich my entire life. I'm going to cry right now. Um, <laughs> um, my wife started <laughs> fucking crying. dare you. Dude. My, my, my wife started crying so audibly in this very quiet, touching scene that she was all you could hear. In the she was weeping, <laughs> weeping, oh. just, just like, 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 I mean, that's a, a beautiful movie and in a very emotional scene, but, uh, yeah. but it's a very quiet scene. And so I'm, we're near the front and all well, you can hear is my wife just heaving with. No, no. <laughs> and then, and then Harry walked up and said, excuse me, there's no crying. In <laughs> hey, the theater. you're allowed to react <laughs> to the film. You know, you're allowed to interact with them. Just like, I don't mind people in a horror movie going like, don't go in there. Like, that's yeah, funny. Yeah. I like that. You know? Um, but anyway, so Randy, Randy was doing the quiet cry and come on, come on is what you're saying. Yeah. There was like probably like three or four visible tears. Wow. And that was like about it. <laughs> That's four more than you've ever had. That's true. It was, uh, yeah, it's, it was up there for sure. Yeah. What the fuck? I think that's great, man. I think that's great. You got to feel it. You know, it's progress, let, man. Don't let toxic masculinity stop you from feeling things, you know, like get, get into your vibes. You True. Know? You know, and uh, as somebody who really like, I believe that is the proper application of toxic mas- masculinity. Oh, it's not crying. Where it's, where it's like an ideal. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of like a repression of emotions. Sure. And uh, you know, you know where I did it, where I really exercised that fucking poisonous uh, uh, id. What? Was in, um, Wait, God. Oh, white God was, I fought it. I couldn't win that fight though. White God got me. No, no. It was, uh, oh, uh, the Florida project. Oh yeah. Dude, oh I man. I was yeah. trying to fight that movie. You God cried, you cried damn. in Florida project. Dude, it's beautiful. How I'm going to cry now. Fucking not cry in Florida project. Oh, I love that movie. Me too. By the way, uh, since you brought it up, another a 24 movie, people often ask me, what's my like teaching persona? Like it, not, not where I currently work, but at the school I used to work at, what's my teaching persona? Are you strict? Are you hardworking? Are you not? Willem Dafoe in that movie, that's me as a teacher. Like cool. exactly. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm here for you, but also quit your bullshit. You know, yeah. like 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 that Willem Dafoe as the hotel manager in that movie is my exact teacher persona. Like perfectly displayed. Now, Randy, I promise I won't I won't go too far into this, but uh how do y'all feel about Red Rocket? I don't know Red Rocket. The, okay. I'm down. It's the, um do you know Dirt Nasty? No. Simon Rex? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's starring in an A twenty four film. Oh my god. Directed by Sean Baker. Sean Baker. No fucking way. Dude, I'm getting goosebumps. I'm excited because Dirt Nasty is a natural performer. I He's love great. Him. I love Dirt Nasty. And then, you know, uh, now if people are like, who's Dirt Nasty? Uh, he was in the uh, sensational uh, <laughs> rap group Three Loco from the Bay Area. Yeah, but also the, uh, what are they called? The Dyslexic Speed Readers. Yep. And Mickey Avalon. And, know, and he was a huge hit in uh, Scary Movie 5. Yeah, and I believe four. Yeah, he he's. I like him a lot. I'm really looking forward to Sean Baker, and I mean this no irony. Started his career as a uh, porn star who only did masturbation videos, and then became a white rapper who really like (laughs) highlighted the fact that he was like way before Lil Dicky, who I don't like. Yeah, he was like he was like the I'm the white 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 rapper. He would do songs like Baby Dick, Itty Bitty Baby Dick. Like he he was or he did um. What's that one? Drugs all the time. Drugs yep. on my mind. Like dirt nasty. It was like ex- very 80s. He's theme. exactly what yep. he sounds like. He's dirt nasty white boy. Like now, that. I'm gonna stop you there because Little Dicky is uh, Randy's favorite rapper. 
I liked Lil Dicky until that Earth song came out, and then I was like, this guy's trash. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually listen to his music, but I love his FX series, Dave. Uh, I didn't watch it out of spite for the Good, Earth thank you. <laughs> thank, see? <laughs> I didn't even know who he was until I watched the he, show. He had a few, like, okay songs. He had an early one that was called Ex-Boyfriend that was genuinely funny, and also... um like good rhyming and he's a good rapper i guess but then he did first of all that freaky friday music video with chris brown and i was like we're doing everyone's canceled but chris brown I know. <laughs> <laughs> how did that happen and then he he like his sense of humor wasn't the best in his music and then he did and i cannot stress this enough the most garbage song i think i've ever heard which was like a song that was meant to like raise money for the environment it was called earth don't look it up. Do yourself a favor and don't watch it. It is it, <laughs> like it'll get stuck in your head forever. It is such unbelievable trash that it, it's it's one of those things where it wasn't like oh he was good and he fell off. It was one of those things where it was so bad that it made me retroactively hate everything he'd done. You know when something's that bad, <laughs> yeah. You know, you're like oh you were always trash. You rethink the whole yeah, yeah I have catalog. To re- I have to rethink everything because only someone who's always been trash could produce something this trash. You know and. And I've heard Dave is an okay show on FX um, in the tradition of Atlanta and Louie. And, you know, I'm just kind of like that, you know, Atlanta season three has been in production for like five years. Louie's off the, off the, off the spotlight. And, <laughs> um, and so I'm kind of like, eh, you know, I'm, yeah, yeah, it's probably a good show. You're probably right, Randy. I just, I'm just not going to watch it now. Now to end, end this tangent. Um, actually it's not, uh, it's a deeper tangent. I tricked y'all. Uh, you, <laughs> you said, you said garbage one time and yeah. you reminded me that fucking tears for fears is on tour with garbage now. Oh wow. What a weird eighties meets the nineties. Yeah, yeah. But it's also like, where have either of them been? It's just like a Gen X nostalgia trip, right? Yeah. It's like, what is JJ Abrams, uh, directing this one? <laughs> it's going to be directed by Kevin Smith. You Dude. Know? <laughs> okay. Randy, what did you Sorry. have? Did you have another Dirt movie? nasty a 24 movie? <laughs> All we were saying is that dirt nasty was the original little dicky and he was more genuinely just a trashy white boy and it's funny it's funny oh, fuck yeah. it, like go watch some early like beardo dirt nasty videos they're hell fun. yeah they're funny early beardo. i do i like beardo there's a third uh, movie randy wants to mention <laughs> there is and it's uh i'll be very short about it because i didn't care for it too much okay <laughs> house of gucci the new ridley scott film oh my wife really wants to go see that house of gucci mm-hmm it's yeah. Adam uh, Driver and Lady Gaga. Yeah, who I think they are both pretty good. I'm not a uh, expert on accents, so I've heard uh, people <laughs> criticize uh, Lady Gaga's Italian accent in the movie, but I think she's really good and like very watchable on screen. Um, Adam Driver kind of, I think it's like just the characterization uh, of the person he plays. He he's kind of boring in the movie, sure. but I think that's like on purpose. Um, and then everyone else in the movie, uh, in particular, Jared Leto plays cartoon characters how with, did, how did he survive the cancels? Anyway, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, he's, you know, in like full, like prosthetic makeup. You can't tell it's him at right, all. Right. And his, he basically sounds like a cartoon character or like doing a, uh, a super Mario brothers impression or something. It's very goofy. I, I, uh, reviewed this on Letterboxd and said, House of Goofy. <laughs> oh, got him, Randy. <laughs> Fucking scorched him. <laughs> but, uh, you know, besides, like, the tone being weird between, like, Adam Driver who and Lady Gaga, who, like, seem to be taking it seriously, and Jared Leto and uh, Al Pacino, who kind of seem like cartoon characters, the, I, you know, I don't really give a shit about fashion, um, <laughs> so I didn't know anything about 
Gucci or the story. So I don't know. It was interesting enough and like, you know, it's a really Scott film, so it looks really good. Um, you know, it's well directed and everything, but I don't know. I didn't care for, for the, most of the characters. So what I hear you saying is it's like a great cast full of charismatic people, good direction and an interesting true story, but they just like Mario brothers, the Italian aspect of it. (laughs) Sort of. Yeah. I basically, I guess what I'm saying is that the only racism that is okay in film still is Italians. Well, yeah, because (laughs) I mean, that's, that's a known thing because they've, uh, they've done so well that people are like, ah, we're punching up. Well, they talk with their hands. You know what I mean? Well, Italian culture has become Become such a mainstay of American culture that it's just like how you can make fun of Catholics, but you don't make fun of Jews. It's, yeah, yeah. it's like you're punching yeah. up. You're punching up yep. at the power structure. You know, like yeah. like you don't you don't make fun of unless you're you know Howard Stern. You don't you, <laughs> you don't you don't make fun of people who have like had a shit deal for so much of. Oh history. yeah, you know you make fun of the power structure. Yeah, and the Italians in American cinema have become the power structure. That's why I think it's acceptable. Not to say that people in Italy don't have a hard time. Not to say that some very specific. <laughs> European anti-Italian sentiment can be quite xenophobic in a very upsetting way. But in the American way, it seems like it comes from all love. I mean, is there anything more American than the Italian American experience in cinema? I mean, it's, that's, it's yeah, that's a good point. Think about yeah. what, when you say, what's the best movie ever made? Fucking Godfather. Every time. You know? It's weird. Narratively, the Italians are portrayed more, but I really, when I think of like American cinema, I think of Germany oh, and yeah. all the like, of the visual impact they have. I have an essay that I'm not going to, I mean, I haven't written it. I have a thesis. <laughs> I, I have a thesis for an essay that I'm not going to go into. I'm not going to go into it here. I'm just going to say the thesis, which is that oh, Italian, you know you want to. that Italian Italians have made more influential contributions to cinema than any other nation. Uh, and that everything that happened that has happened in cinema throughout the 20th century can be tied back to something the Italians did. And you're talking about like revisionist film, like yeah. even like spaghetti Westerns. I'm saying, yeah, spaghetti and, Westerns. Okay. Giallo's becoming slashers. A new wave of Italian films becoming American acceptable films. Themes of Italian American immigration and assimilation becoming the mainstay American stories we read. Like Italians have been the story of cinema. Just like the Irish have been the story of literature, just like African Americans wow. have been the story of music, just yeah. like Mexicans have been the story of food. Like you can get into each nation being kind of the principal focal point of a medium. And I think Italians have been the, the principal focal point of cinema. Which is interesting because whenever we look at like Italian horror, like the Jello, from an American standpoint, we're usually punching down. Yeah. And we're like, wow, they don't get it. Yeah. No, Listen but, to that dub. Right. But that's the whole thing is in there. And I'm not saying that like Italian filmmakers are geniuses because a lot of the times they were just like flailing money, money makers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that's in, what the Jello is. But in their cynical flailing, they accidentally invented like everything we do in film. Well, now. it's a Trojan horse of culture. Yeah, right. It's like, hey, you're not taking this seriously, but uh, look. Can look at your film in 20 years. Exactly. No, exactly. You're just mimicking it. Exactly. Beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Thank you, Randy, for sharing your reviews. I really appreciate it, man. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I want to mention a little something I had Russ take a look at, and this is where I believe the future of found footage might be headed. Okay. So there's been for a while different people, especially on YouTube, making short films that fit into a, a subgenre, which I would say is a sub subgenre. It's a subgenre of found footage horror. So it's you got horror. You got found footage, you got a subgenre of that. You got, you know, within found footage, you have um, literally just found footage. You have faux docs, mm-hmm. you have fake snuff. You've got, you know, and this is what they call analog horror, where it's stuff that looks like old VHS tapes and has that old VHS tape look. A lot of my favorite movies fit into this. It's a hard look to pull off 
I've always been a, a, a major um, devotee of Dude Bro Party Massacre 3 because I think they pulled the VHS look off so well. They really did. They really did. And Trash Humpers, another great example. Mm-hmm. Harmony Kareen pulling the VHS look off really well. I think Trash Humpers might be one of my favorite um, found footage. Uh, right there with VHS you. Yep. I love that movie. The Mandela Catalog is a YouTube project by this guy, Alex Kirster, I believe is his name. Um, it's hard to explain. They are done half as like true crime documentaries, but also like brainwashing uh, public service announcements almost. And I'm not going to get too much into the mythology, but they're about like doppelgangers and, oh, you know, it's 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 almost displayed as like you're watching a, a public service announcement directed at you, mm-hmm. but it also has that mad masterpiece aspect where it's like this video is going to mess with your brain and mess with the way you see the world, kind of like Antrim yeah. or Cigarette Burns or anything like that. And it combines these things really well, but most of all, and Harry put this really well, it just gets analog horror better than anything I've seen. It's genuinely scary. If you watch it with headphones, you will inevitably, I promise, just watch the channel on YouTube, the Mandela Catalog, if you watch it with headphones, you will inevitably once or twice throw your headphones off to make sure a sound that is in the video isn't actually in your house. Because they do like knocking on the right channel and then knocking on the left channel. Like it goes from the right to the left and you'll pull your headphones off and be like, is someone knocking on the door? It's like, no, it's in the video, but it's so well done. And they do a really good job of, I kept expecting there to be jump scares and there are shocking moments. There aren't really like traditional jump scares. What they'll do is they'll just have a camera on an empty hallway and it'll just hold. And then it'll turn off and then it'll turn back on. And yeah, sure, there might be something scary in the hallway, but it's not so much done in a jump scare way. It's done in a surveillance camera way. I don't know. I found it very effective, very good. And from a literary perspective, reminded me of a, um, for those of you who have seen Twilight Zone, you probably know the the episode of with the creature on the wing. Richard Matheson wrote that. Richard Matheson, also famous horror author, famously wrote I Am Legend. He wrote a short story that no one ever talks about back in the day called Through Channels which is all dialogue. And it's all about this kid talking about how his parents always watched this television program that was weird and he didn't understand it. So he'd always leave the room. And then one day he comes into the room and his parents are dead. And the, and the channel is like a mouth, an open mouth. And his parents have been like eaten by the TV program that was written in like the fifties and sixties. Brilliant. I see Mandela catalog as like the natural inheritor of that storyline of like the TV show that eats you. So Cannot recommend it enough. Get your good headphones on and watch the Mandela catalog. And I know that with, you know, uh, we're always exploring what's happening in found footage. I want to see more people take on analog horror. I think it's a really cool genre. Fake VHS. Like, uh, like, like Trash Humpers, you know, is an example. Dude Bros is an example. Something that's couched in terms of, oh, this is a VHS tape from the 80s or 90s that we just found, you know? Yeah. But it's not necessarily like someone's home video. It's like something someone put together, but it feels like a found video. You know what see, I mean? Now, I... One, when, when you hit me with this title, I'd never heard of it. And through the internet, people were like, hey, this kind of came out of nowhere and it's right. got like 2 million views. And it, I, I think there was an article written by, I don't know, some website that's kind of like highbrow, lowbrow stuff. Sure. And they're like, hey, the scariest thing in October is a YouTube video. Yeah. And when I watch it, this reminds me a lot of the Forbidden Files where you're given... It does. You know, it's interesting that you talk about like early film where the fear is TV. Yeah. Because I think what they're articulating is kind of propaganda has gotten so good yeah. that you're, you're just sitting there and it's overwhelming. You're just consuming whatever. And you, you, you don't know your change right. until the TV eats you. Yeah. And in here, it really plays like a creepy pasta to me. Yeah, it does. And what I mean by that is they give you an avenue of fear 
And uh, the the real fear comes when you realize that the direction they're giving you, which is supposed to be how to get out, there is no solution. Though. There's no escape. And I one of my favorite things is like so. There's a, a doppelganger, like doppelganger PSA. Yeah. And they're like, hey, if you see them, don't engage them. Yeah. But but if you do, you can kill them. Yeah. But we don't recommend it. And it's like, wait, you can kill them. And then it's kind of talking about like hide. But if they get in there, whatever. And then also it's too late. Yeah. Uh, don't call 911 because uh, wait until five minutes. And you're like, what the fuck is this direction? And then a lot of it is like, uh, I, did you ever watch um, 1976? Was that 19? Yeah, the the, uh, the the Spanish language one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did that at... Altair. Of, or, Altair. Yeah, yeah. We did that in... um of 24 hour and it had a very similar idea where, you know, there's this horror and we have the fear, but we don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. And there's that shared moment where there's a hallway that's just dark. Yeah. And one of the beautiful things about found footage is because the cameras in world, the craft kind of melts away and there's no cutting. We're lingering. And you know, with an overactive mind, like we have, you just sit there and you're running through all the things that might show up in this hallway. And now we watched it on our TV with the YouTube app. And I remember we were sitting in bed doing it and I'm like, this is the wrong way. Yeah. And I don't think the right way to watch it would be in the theater either. And I think you nailed it. You got to have headphones on headphones, good headphones. And you have to have a relationship with the technology, Yeah, which I think is why it's analog because the relationship with the VHS tape, it's so personal. Yeah. Your vision, your version of this movie is going to have uh, magnetic waves based on how you've been watching it. Yeah. So if you keep pausing to watch the boobs, you're gonna, it's gonna distort. Yeah. And it's it's such a like personal interaction. <sighs> you know, we I, were think, I think this could play it off though. I really it, do. no, it could. Yeah. And again, um, at the end of the day, our programming is all about the ideas. And yeah. I want to have this conversation about how we digest visual film. Sure. And the analog thing is so personal, though. And um, this is like a fear I have where the theater experience will kind of start to shed way to like, I don't know, like VR. Yeah. Or something where it's not even like a shared community experience where it's like a one-on-one. -on -one, and then you turn around and have like a forum debate. Yeah. I, I don't want that. No, I don't want that either. I don't want that either. I, I like film as just you're the receiver. And I yeah. think that the Mandela catalog makes a really good uh, horror out of you being a participant and a receiver without it being super interactive. You know, I mean, I, I like interactive ideas like or what do they call like um, alternative world shit. Like I, I've fallen down. <laughs> it's an ARG, dude. I've fallen. Yeah. What's that? What's the, is that the alternative term? reality, reality like, game. game? Right. I have fallen down the rabbit hole on some like TikTok channels that do it. Like, like where did the sky go? Or like really? Um, or like uh, the, wait, wait, they have TikToks like that? Yeah. The back rooms. Oh have you heard of the whole God. like back rooms thing? I've heard of back. Room. Yeah. Which is fun. It's so fun. Um, cause it's just like all these internet nerds creating this like vast fanfic of like alternative reality shit. Um, but the Mandela catalog, it's simple, it's straightforward. It's doppelgangers, which I think I also just wanted to comment on one thing you said, which is we think about an empty hallway, like in Altair, like in Mandela catalog. I don't think the horror is just imagining what could be there. I think the horror is also nothing is there. And it's yeah. this sort of like cosmic pessimism of like under or of comprehending true emptiness which even goes back to the origins of horror the last few shots of like halloween are just empty spaces yeah and or the thing or you know 
emptiness is terrifying. Like literally sure. nothing being there is terrifying, you know? Well, I think that's where uh, the breeding ground for conspiracy theories come from. Yeah. Because, you know, we're, we're, our society as people is all about like law and like rules. Sure. And then you have like chaotic things happen within them and the systems have to adjust. Yeah. And it's really hard to think about like, just what I said, like, Oh, bad things happen. We have to figure it out. Yeah. And it's much easier to be like, Oh, well the reptilians did that. And we're connecting these dots that fall back into law. Yeah. Like nothing is uh coincident or accident. Right. Everything is by design. I, I, I completely, I, I, think you're getting exactly what I wanted you to get out of this. And I'm really glad you watched it. And I really want Randy, go watch the Mandela catalog. It's like 15 minutes. It's dude. 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, can you make, Oxana, I know we're terrible at this. Can you make a note? We'll throw that up on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure people who are into this have probably seen it already, but I think there's something there for like a casual, I, it's fucking 15 minutes. You're it's, right. It's so, it's so great. And I really, I think I'm not going to be a Luddite about like, the internet and i think that like a lot of cool stuff comes out of youtube but oh, you can't you can't fight that and tiktok and like 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 cool horror still happens there now i follow another tiktoker called um lights are off and he's just kind of like a guy who's a budding cgi special effects oh, guy okay. and all he does is do like 30 second clips of like cgi horror and i just love seeing people kind of do their what do you call it like their demo reel yeah, on like tiktok yeah. and shit you know like, you, you know why that scares me why it's it's the attention span and i think you know we're talking about people on their phones in a theater and i don't think it's because they don't have the attention span i actually think our brains are more geared up for more quick fast right we need to speed the song up sure and i think tiktok is dude tiktok has more interaction than youtube now yeah like stream time it's just a better app i'm sorry but but, but think <laughs> now but think of the format like on tiktok uh, you got what 30 second videos it goes from one it can go from 15 seconds to three minutes okay but on youtube i mean i've seen videos oh, yeah. of a static shot of a hallway that are three and a half hours i'm gonna have long. you pull up uh, my favorite 10 hour uh, youtube video a little later on like, not right now there we go okay yeah, yeah yeah we got the time well, we I, can watch I, it. I, oh, we're not gonna watch it <laughs> but uh but but genuinely i think that people are too cynical because i think we have differentiated attention spans eh, that might not be the word i'm looking for but what i mean is that i will scroll on tiktok for a while and then i will go listen to a podcast like this which is like yeah. three hours long when and you so, read yeah and i read which takes an hour for like you know people think i read fast i don't i just read a lot and it takes forever and so um i think that you can i think that like you know quibi was made by like you know cynical boomers who thought kids <laughs> just wanted like short videos dude gen z kids will watch two hours of a Twitch streamer playing Fortnite. Yeah, you know, they yep. will engage with True. something that's long if it's what they like, you know? Yeah. But, but, the, but then, you know, TikTok is like the, uh, the buffet of content, which, you know, you can just pick everything, but I'll also spend hours on there. Well, know? I also think there is a marriage between the internet and a theater. And I really think in the, the dawn of endless content, like for, of all varieties, I think really what we need now is what me and you do. We need we need gatekeepers and we need people to contextualize. And I really think people who love the internet and love digesting all this art go to a fucking film fest and just you're you'll be among like minded people. And every film should have an introduction. I mean, I, again, as somebody who runs a film fest, this is how we feel. Yeah, I know a lot of them don't, 
But I, I really think that is the value here. We need to gaslight, gatekeep, girl boss our way to understand. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like the way Red Letter Media put it in his uh, Picard video, where it's, I'm not trying to be a gatekeeper, I'm trying to be a key master. You know, oh. I'm, 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 I'm trying to welcome you into this thing, not say you don't get to be a part of this. But if you want to, it's like, oh, you know, you like this aspect of it. Okay, I'm not going to tell you your opinion's wrong, but have you seen this? Like, I'm used to dealing with teenagers, or at this point, 11-year-olds or some of the oh, people okay. I know. They will be into a thing, and I really try to resist the urge to be like, that's not the fit. That's not the vibe. Dude, it's hard. It's hard. But you got to say, if you like that, you might actually like this better and yeah. kind of guide them to the origin. If you say like, you're stupid for liking that my thing's better because it's older, yeah. it's immediately unattractive, you know? And so it's like, uh, so key mastering instead of gatekeeping means like, like a lot of kids will wear like sublime shirts. They don't know who sublime is. And I'll be like, oh my Do you know, God. so I won't be like you idiot. I'll be like, Hey, you know that on your shirt, that's a band. Uh, have you ever heard any of their music? How many joints you smoke? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and then I blast I <laughs> smoke two joints for the 11 year olds. No, I play like bad fish or something a little more palatable, yeah. but like, you know, introduce them to the fact that like the thing that you're participating in has a cultural context and do it in a welcoming way. Then you can bring people into like a better cultural understanding. And the truth is, is that most young people are fascinated with stuff from our generation. Oh yeah. As long as we're not too annoying about it, you know, well, and you can have a dialogue with them. Yeah. Like if you're talking past your audience, who, who the fuck are you in favor of? I really try to resist the urge as I get older to say that the stuff young people like is stupid. Yeah. And some of it What's is wrong. Some of it is, uh, it's hard for me to see any value in Jake and Logan Paul. It's hard for me to see any value in, I'm not a big fan of Twitch streaming. I see why it's appealing, yeah. but it's hard for me to like get into it. And it's hard for me to see any value in <laughs> Lil Dicky's Earth music video. Um, <laughs> and kids will sing that shit. Um, but I do also think like kids do check out my phone. I, okay. I'm going descri- <laughs> I'm, I'm to describe what I'm doing. Cause I know this is a podcast. My phone has a Durer sketch of the background, but when I press my thumb to it, it is a live video, which will then show my vaccine card. You see that just oh. slides in an 11 year old showed me how to do that. Okay. I didn't know how to do that without an 11 year old showing me how. Wait, does that work? Like yeah. if you have the, vac- Hey, can we see your vaccine, sir? I just oh, press yeah. my phone and it slides. Oh, Randy, do you do this too? I don't, but um, one of my buddies out here works at a venue and most people don't have their actual card on them, but they just show a picture yeah, or a video. But I can just slide phone. it in from my how, phone background. How are people not just counterfeiting that shit then? Oh, God. They might be. Why would you just- come on. <laughs> Maybe in Atlanta. Well, you, here's the thing. I've heard of a website where you can go on there and you get like a QR code and it's like, oh, here's all my information. I have that too. That was literally just a picture of like, hey, here's, look. It has my name on it. Yeah. I got my papers in my wallet. But the point is, is that I learn. Uh, this sounds so cheesy. Actually, wait, wait. I was supposed to keep up the ruse. I never got one. Right? This this sounds <laughs> so. Ch- what am I doing here with your unvaccinated? Well, if I if I'm not the like radical right one, it's got to be Randy, and we don't want to know what's oh, in his. You gotta closet. have. You gotta have. Yeah, Randy. I've never picked <laughs> Randy as radical right. Um, uh, I have the haircut though. No, like radical, like you know, hang ten radical. Oh, oh, I get what you're <laughs> tubular, the tubular right. Um, this is all to say that like that there's a lot of good stuff coming out of the young, and I'm not Gary Vaynerchuk on NFTs or anything like that, but I I do think you want to watch what young people are doing. Oh yeah, for genre shit. Let's get to the end of this review section. Cause Wait, didn't you have like a whole book segment? I'm like going to do that. I'm going to okay, do that. I'm going to do that. But uh, um, why don't you, because I got to take a bathroom break. Why don't you talk about the feast while I hit the bathroom and then I have something to say. Oh, about no, I'll talk about something. When you come back, I'll talk about the feast. Okay, okay. Talk about something. I'll be right there. Now, again, 
It's been a busy week. I haven't been working on like a thesis or like a book of poetry or a novella series. What are you doing then? I'd write. Well, what I was doing, hanging out with family, having a great time. Actually, nice. I, I don't know if the one of those statements is true. Anyway, uh, what, two days ago? How long? When, when did we go over your parents' house? Friday. Yeah, two days ago. Friday, we hung out um, with Oksana's parents. It was great. We just had a small dinner. We hung out. I talked to her dad about like, kettlebell workouts and uh just weightlifting i didn't realize he was such a big like arm wrestling fan and like he watches a lot of strongman competitions it was great yeah he knew who that one arm wrestler guy was he knew a surprising amount of names and then proceeded <laughs> to tell me how he used to like work out with the 75 pound kettlebell so Jesus. i have goals now yeah here's the, well He's an authentic uh, Russian uh, badass, so I'm not. I wasn't trying. To, he, he's got knuckles that looks like he's beaten. Anyway, he used to be a boxer in the Soviet I, Union. Yeah, and a firefighter and everything. Winning. Great. Uh, let me try and live up to that image. Anyway, uh, while we were there, they they were talking about how there are no good movies anymore, and I'm you know. Deep down, I'm like, I want to fight this, but well, my parents don't watch a lot. I know my they, mom they, wants everything with a happy ending. She won't watch any sad movies. So they they were talking about the last good movie they watched, which was the uh, Focus, uh, starring what Margot Robbie and Will Smith. And they're like, yep. Hey, do you guys want to watch it? And I was like, You they know want what? To watch let's, it again with you. Let's fucking do it. Yeah, they want to watch <laughs> it again. And I'm like, You know, I, I say it all the time on the show. If you want to watch some weird shit, or if you want to watch something you think I'm gonna fucking hate. The way you get me to do it is be excited about it. Like, tell me, like, hey, man, I want to show you something. And if it's some weird Twitch streamer that uh, Nick would shoot himself over, you know what? <laughs> I'll sit right next to you. I'll have popcorn. I'll enjoy it. Or I'll try. I can get into it. I just, it's not for me because I'm not much of a gamer. But, you know. Yeah, I, I get it. I had to give up games, too. Part of being a creator is you just got to stop living in other people's worlds and uh, developing your own. I feel like you can choose between a book reading habit or a video gaming habit. Yeah, you can't it's do like both. They take up the same amount of time in the same part of your brain. You know? <sighs> and so we watched Focus. Are you familiar with this film? No. Of course, because you like art. <laughs> he's he's drinking <laughs> wine with his pinky out right now. Yeah, yeah. Randy, Randy knew instantly what it was, though. Focus. I knew uh, Will Smith and Margot Robbie were in it, but I have not seen it. Oh my goodness. All right. Now, I, I did watch a Will Smith uh, film this weekend, though. Or King w Richard? What did you watch? Yeah, I watched King Richard. <laughs> okay. I didn't, I don't care. Will Smith hasn't been in a good movie since I Am Legend. Now, let me tell you Focus. <laughs> uh, here's the synopsis on IMDb. In the midst of a veteran con man, oh, wait, I read that all wrong. In the midst of a veteran con man, Nikki's latest scheme, a, wooden, a woman from his past, now an accomplished fem fatal shows up and throws his plans for a loop that is a terrible fucking synopsis yeah, what the hell is that? that was awful i hated even reading it i apologize for that she throws him for a loop so will smith is <laughs> running this weird utopian idea of what being an organized criminal is where everybody gets along there is definitely um uh what is the saying um uh valor among thieves or honor among honor thieves. among thieves and let me let me finish this off they let in margot robbie who also thank you this wine is incredible thank i'm you. used to drinking oxana's box shit and i'm like Ooh. i haven't bought boxed wine in oh you cut it with like bubble water so i guess it's fine anyway Did I get you enough? thank you yeah hit her with more if you got it but i think I get do they make bag wine yes. like they do a uh, bag milk yes they do total wine has them bringing us back to focus <laughs> yeah randy focus dude. on focus now <laughs> this film uh, I don't know how much I want to talk about it. So Margot Robbie, 
uh, tries to pull a uh, quick one on Will Smith, and she brings her uh, brings him up to his her hotel room, and her husband kicks open the door, and he's not phased by it, and he's like, "I could smell this scheme a mile away." This is typical cool guy classic, cinema, classic hustle, right? And he scolds them on it, and they're both kind of like wide eyed and like, "Oh fuck, let me get my notepad." Anyway, Margot Robbie decides that she really wants this to be her career, and he takes her under her uh, his wing. And there's this oh, montage. It's a, it's, a, it's a sting movie. It's like a con it's person. Kind movie. of. So, so narratively, when you're doing like an Ocean Eleven, yeah, I'm well, sure you know this. Well, there's two different kinds of movies. You got heists and you got stings. There's a heist and a sting. Okay, stings are like con jobs, and then heists are like bank robbers. Well, this is really neither. Now, this one is. So they never let you in on the plan. And you know, like narratively, if if they tell you what the like, if they if there's a scene where a bunch of people are around a table and they're talking through it, sure. unless it's literally happening while they're talking about it, it ain't gonna work. Sure. And they're setting up the audience to know how um, it should, and then it doesn't. Sure. In this film, it's kind of like uh, we're just rolling through the fucking thing, mm-hmm. and he's teaching her how to pickpocket. Now, if you're watching a film and uh, your lead is a piano player, they're a mm-hmm. pianist, and they don't show the hands, you know how distracting and weird yeah. that is? Yeah. This movie, Will Smith is engaged in, um, you know how in a bad action, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't editorialize like that. You know how in action movies when uh, there's a romance and it happens in the middle of a fight scene? Mm-hmm. And they're kind of like love throwing each other against mm-hmm, the wall. Mm-hmm. Well, in this one, they're pickpocketing each other in a romantic way. It's very flirtatious. Like Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Except it all happens off camera because they can't actually do it. So he'll be like, oh, yeah, here's your card. Oh, uh, it's weird how the numbers are. Right. And she's like, oh, give that back. And he's like, oh, you'll need your purse to put it in. Right. And she's like, how did you do that? I didn't even feel it come off my shoulder. And you're, it's it's cute. In a Hitchcock notorious kind of uh, Truffaut put it best when he's like Cary Grant and um, uh, Ingrid Bergman, you know, they're just like in love in that movie. And all the movie is is really a menage a trois with the audience. That's what we're doing here with Margot Robbie and Will Smith. If you like either of them, you're in bed with them. Don't get me wrong. I would pay to see them have sex, but I uh, (laughs) I think we'll watch Focus. Like explicitly? No. I mean, there's a lot of like heavy uh emotional making out sure but i i mean this is a it's a subgenre you're describing there's um there's uh dirty rotten scoundrels is what immediately comes to mind which is a hilarious like con person no idea menage a trois a movie about like okay. con people conning each other constantly yeah. in like a flirtatious way and it's like is the love real yeah well, it's a comedy so it's like it's all like kind of silly this one is too yeah and then there's a great, I think it was even like a TV movie from the 80s, incredibly underrated, called House of Games, that if you can find it, which is about like a woman takes in with some con men who like teach her how to do things. And it's like, who's got the greatest con, you know, who can out con the con? Okay. People. There's also, of course, the Argentinian film Nine Queens, which is a really great version of this as what well. What the fuck? Yeah. You is- are a fucking <laughs> library of movies. Uh, this is a whole subgenre. The con, and then there's the Brothers Bloom, which is Ryan Johnson's second movie. Okay. After well, Brick. now yeah. I'd be interested in you watching it because I didn't really have like a palette for it. Yeah. And I'm watching it. And the only thing I walked away from was I know Hitchcock's sure. like kind of like crime films. Mm-hmm. And, um, To Catch a Thief kind of seems, yeah, like maybe. Oh, one. man. I'm not a fan of To Catch a Thief. But like to stay with Notorious because narratively they kind yeah, of work. Sure. So one of the things about, um, Notorious is the marriage. Mm-hmm. Like it's a real marriage. Yeah. And Hitchcock always does this thing about like feminine virtue. And it's like, oh, in uh, Vertigo, uh, did he undress her? Like, mm-hmm. why is she in bed in different clothes? Like, what does that imply? Only when you get older do you realize how fucking weird that is. And and it's weird to think about Hitchcock because you're like, did he even like 
cognitively did he think about oh, that yeah he did because hitchcock was a fucking creep but like, he but the way that hollywood always presented him was like kind of like a repressed like tippy hendron wouldn't hook up with him so he tortured her with live birds like the guy the, <laughs> like 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 the guy don't get me wrong one of the greatest filmmakers who ever lived but like creepazoid like i heard he was almost like um Oh man, I heard an account of a hotel room with him in it. And it wasn't anything explicit. He's this portly old British guy, and if young, beautiful American starlets wouldn't hook up with him, he would just torment them. See, I heard, (laughs) see, I don't know too much about it, but I remember hearing that he was more creepy, like where it's like, oh, sex isn't what he's into. No, no, it's not. It's the power, which is, which is, it's, it's like Harvey Weinstein. Which is funny though, because like Harvey Weinstein, there's really a powerful female behind him kind of running everything sure because we have jelaine with harvey but also hitchcock's wife no everybody jelaine was jeffrey i'm harvey harvey oh yeah yeah, jelaine but 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 similar idea where it's like the structure is behind him and and it was a time and it kind of shows that the filmmaking industry naturally gives root that's why there's so many male directors oh yeah i'm not trying to get it at all but the point is you're right it's it's that that creepy but that's the whole thing with these con movies It's, it's about the like sadomasochism power play back and forth kind now, of thing. Now, hold on. Now, uh, now that I, I mixed that up, but is there anybody behind Harvey? Or is he like alone? The entire Hollywood establishment? Well, I mean, men <laughs> men are boring. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like a boys club is lame in the way that there is really nothing interesting I, I going on there. I think that, you know... Liter- toxic masculinity li- in a li- true sense. Literally, right? Miramax and, you know, then the Weinstein company was behind Harvey Weinstein in the sense that, in the sense that it was just a known thing. I remember, okay. I remember hearing Tarantino talk about stories where people were like, oh, Harvey had a girl up here. Yeah, and like, Kevin Smith, same, yeah. Sim- similar thing. You know, people who worked with him, they, they had been talking about it for years. But, um, you know, it's, it's more so that I'm just saying that Alfred Hitchcock, he was sort of showing things in vertigo that I, that I think spoke to who he really was. And I think that's one of the best movies ever made. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm, there with I'm not saying vertigo is like, we shouldn't watch not it. an easy film no. for like a general audience. And but maybe the best San Francisco film ever made. Um, good film about film, like oh, visual, yeah. like embodying the ghost of a dead girl and being attracted to the ghost, not the girl in a similar way. Harvey Weinstein's first big hit was the burning, which was a Friday the 13th ripoff. Yeah. In which Jason the, Alexander, yeah, Jason Alexander and Fisher Stevens, and in which the main character, a sympathetic guy who's the little whiny boy from Fast Times at Ridgemont High, is like constantly creeping on girls in the shower. Yeah, and there's lots of scenes of guys being like, "Why won't you just have sex with me, you dumb idiot?" Yeah. And then like, and like <laughs> ditching girls on the side of the creek and being like, "I hope you get murdered." And then she does. Yeah. And, and watching it now, I'm like, I think he liked these guys I think, like, <laughs> like, like i don't think this is like showing creepy 80s i think this he's, is harvey being like why are these girls all so stuck up that's my he's articulating he's articulating his, his, own, his own feelings yeah through this movie so yeah so okay <laughs> now the thing the thing with like vertigo and you know did he undress her it kind of ruins the protagonist sure. edge this film did the other thing which i actually thought was like kind of more offensive where at the end of this now i'm sorry if i'm about to ruin focus for everybody out here but margot robbie in the end so they do they do a Chekhov's kill your partner sure. in this movie. Sure. And he talks about the only thing you can do when you're found out, you die with the lie or you kill your partner. Sure. And if you kill your partner, that's how they know that it was the lie is real. Yeah. So of course they end up in a situation. Now, I'm not saying that this film is poorly executed. I didn't see it coming. It's a very easy watch. But you know, they end up tied to a chair, Margot Robbie and Will Smith, and it looks like Will Smith is gonna turn on her. And it's effective. Now, here's the thing. Now, the hit in this movie is an F1 
uh, owner or something, Clark would love it. There's F1 cars everywhere, and he's selling some computer chip that's going to, you know, give them the edge to win. And he's been selling it to everybody. So the dude's pissed, and he's like, what did you do? And he's like, oh, I'm not going to tell you. Well, he, he thinks he's going to kill Margot Robbie. And she's dating him at the time, so he's kind of like trying to call his bluff. And then it's revealed. Margo's like, you idiot. We weren't dating. I was lying to you because I'm in love with you. And in my head, I was thinking, wow, they undid the marriage in Notorious. Because the problem there is now your, your virginal beauty, potential lover, has been with another man. Yeah. And it's like, how dare she? And in this movie, they protected Robbie from that. And I'm like, she's already playing kind of like a lame blonde stereotype, which I thought was kind of boring. Because clearly in the film, she's got the most raw talent out of everybody. But the the fact that they had to shelter her from hooking up with the villain, I'm like, I thought we're past this shit. This was the movie that Oksana's parents, (laughs) it made them feel good. Now, Oksana, can I ask you a question? Did your parents grow up in the Soviet Union? Yeah. And did they, how'd they feel about it? Uh, <laughs> they left. <laughs> I don't think they agree on a lot of things. You mean like one of them likes it, one of them doesn't like one's, it? One's Russian, one's Ukrainian. I, I mean, oh. Yeah. Okay, that's a, that's a diversity of uh, perspective. I mean, I love Soviet film. I always have. And uh, some Soviet film can be surprisingly joyful. Yeah. Like you go watch movies like Carnival. It's called propaganda. <laughs> no, I know. You know it is. It is. But I mean it's it's very I, a movie I re- highly recommend is Carnival Night. It's a Soviet film that just it's just so joyful. But also Harry and I did a whole episode of Cinematic Oblivion about Osterns, which was about uh, Soviet cowboy movies. And I think there is like um there's a culture of joy pre-Tarkovsky in Soviet cinema that uh you can appreciate. You don't just have to watch American movies for it to be joyful. I want to talk to I've been teaching Animal Farm in my class. I want to talk to people who lived in the Soviet Union. I'm interested to talk about it. All right. Well, but, let's get the October boys back together. We'll bring Oksana's parents we got there. <laughs> Whoever's still listening, I know we've been talking for almost three hours. So I will hey, do- no, here's the thing. They, by they, I'm pointing to everybody else who works on this fucking show. And Clark, if he, he Clark has turned this off about oh, two and a half hours he ago. He turned this yeah, off when probably. he heard my voice. Um, you know, people reach out and they're like, I like the longer episodes. I get okay. to put them on. I'm lurking. Yeah, so, no, I feel the same way when I'm doing dishes and listening to this show or other long podcasts. It's like when it ends, I'm like, shit, I got to like dry my hands and shake. Yeah. Yeah. So I will. Just, also, today you get the blame. You're the fucking I'm, host. Dude, I, could I talk, am absolved. I could talk forever, but uh, <laughs> but I mean, I do, I, I do want to move us to the last thing in the review segment, and then just I'm going to speed through some final segments. Wait, here. we got more? Okay, yeah, the feast. So the feast. Now, last week we had Terrell on. Thank you again, Terrell. You did a great job. Um, Terrell, you've got a natural affect, and I know you lack confidence, but you don't need to because you're you're a natural presenter. I just want to give him some confidence for sure. And I really love the Terrell episode because he's Terrell is naturally hilarious whether he like means oh, yeah. to be or not oh, he knows not to mention Terrell <laughs> knows how to like spread joy and make people feel good I remember when I came here for the Christmas party and I was making cocktails I was wearing my wife's Flocana where she used to work her Flocana hat I was like this is my wife's company and I was making cocktails and Terrell was like oh look at this guy over here making cocktails rubbing orange slice on the rim wearing his wife's hat girl get you oh. one <laughs> and I just remember being like that makes me feel so good about myself oh dude <laughs> like, Terrell know. we love you um um, but Clark uh, texted me after that episode aired and you're not allowed on the show anymore. Um, anyway, <laughs> he did recommend a highbrow foreign art house film. And I uh, did a spit take and I thought he had a stroke. And I said, there's no way you watch this movie. I was also skeptical when I started it. And I was like, this was a Terrell recommendation. I know. <laughs> so I, I, I reached out to Nick and I was like, 
hey, you know, if we're going to do something, like, maybe we should cover that one and see what it's all about. For sure. So we watched The Feast. Uh, again, I'll, I'll read the synopsis on IMDb. Filmed in Welsh, the picture follows a young woman serving privileged guests at a dinner party in a remote house in rural Wales. The assembled guests do not realize they are about to eat their last supper. Wow, we are 0 for 2 with these fucking setups on these movies. It just spoiled it. Wow. <laughs> I regret reading. You know, I it didn't take, It this. takes a long time to get to the fact that it's like that kind of movie. I will say this, though. I've lived in England for a year, Northern England. I've been, Humble brag, okay. I've been to the UK <laughs> and to Ireland and to Scotland. I've never been to Wales. Oh. And this might be, I think it is the only Welsh movie I've ever seen. I can't think of another Welsh movie. And I want to say, I, 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 Ter- Terrell watched this subtitled, I assume. Um, I cannot believe he watched Squid Game dubbed. I can't believe anyone does. <laughs> I, can't believe, I can't believe anyone does that. Yeah, he's not but the only one. That, Most of the people I talk to, they watch Squid Game dubbed. That's nightmarish to me. Also, I thought we were all becoming cultured, but really we're just butchering no, no. culture. Here, I got an aside for you. Uh, today before recording, uh, the one YouTube video I watched that was not related to the show was real life squid game done by the YouTuber, Mr. Mr. Beast. Beast. Uh, can you talk, uh, can anyone ever heard the term tone deaf? (laughs) (laughs) If there's anything I take away from squid game, it's, oh, we should all be playing these games. Shut up. Mr. Beast, you fucking idiot. Way Um, to take like a scathing satire of like government rule and then turn it into an actual game. Let's do the 120 days of Sodom and see if that works out on the Mr. Beast (laughs) channel for fun. Um, you know, it's the same shit. John Legend and Chrissy Teigen threw a squid game based party, a show that is is the most critical of capitalism of practice of global capitalism specifically of any show I've seen recently. And, uh, and two rich celebrities are like, well, they're going to throw oh, a party yeah. about this. We, Doesn't that make you feel do, good? Don't you guys realize you are the villains <laughs> in this story? This is about you and your shitty friends. Oh, anyway. Um, so, but I, I just was saying this, that I think this is the only Welsh movie I've ever seen because, Ditto. um, I really like the sound of Welsh as a language. It's it's weird. It sounds almost like English, yeah. but it's not. It almost sounds like old English. And it's such a weird language. Because what's weird about it is, if you've ever watched videos of people saying like, oh, this is how English sounds to non-English speakers, or like that song where it's like gibberish English, and it's like not not actually speaking English, but speaking what sounds like English if you don't speak English. That's what Welsh sounds like. Welsh sounds like English without the English vocabulary. Okay. Because people will be like, and you'll be like, are you speaking English? No. Wait, what song are you talking There's about? There's a famous song where a German guy noticed that every American song became a hit in Germany. So he wrote a song that was gibberish, but sounded like American English. And it, oh, be- and yeah. it became a hit. Randy knows. I feel like I heard a podcast on this, but I can't remember the song either. Yeah. So it'd be like the equivalent of like K-pop's huge. I'm going to do my own BTS song, but I don't know Korean. Right. Like, okay. So an yeah. example of this on our side is um, if you've ever watched Adventure Time, Lady Rainicorn, who's uh, the, one of the characters in that show, she speaks gibberish Japanese. It's not Japanese. Oh, okay. It's gibberish that sounds like Japanese. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so it's, yeah, it's like that. Now you're showing your true hipster right yeah, there. Yeah, for yeah, a little yeah. adventure time. I oh, love me some adventure time. Pull that out on rainy days for the kids. <laughs> they love you. Um, but this was cool. Just hearing Welsh in this movie, hearing people speak Welsh was cool. And also thinking about the Welsh, which is a, you know, subset of England, the British Isles. I, that I think a lot of people forget about, you know, let's yeah. not forget princess Diana. I know you just watched Spencer, Randy, princess Diana. Wasn't she queen of Wales or princess of Wales or she wasn't she Welsh? 
Wasn't she a whale? I, I honestly don't know. I think she, I think, I think I'm she, terrible I, with history I, I, I think and she was, royal stuff. I think she was Welsh. So did you like the film? Um, okay, so sort of. Okay, here, <laughs> let me set it up. Now, just for people, like, I know Terrell, he, he kind of leaned into, I want you to watch it mm-hmm. because I want to hear what you think. And I'm like, okay, he, he does a thing where uh, when a film requires a little bit of, like, uh, just mulling it over. Sure. He, I don't know. I think he. I feel like it was very predictable. I'm there with you. Yeah, yeah. Now, it's nothing new. It it felt like here for a visual palette for people listening to us. Uh it's it looks very Goodnight Mommy. Yes. It looks just like Goodnight Mommy. Kind of like same idea with the house. It's yeah. very modern. It's uh rural. Yeah. Um there's a stark contrast versus like the beauty and fantasy of nature with like the kind of sterile and uh just kind of flat interior of like regular living. You had, you had a classic capital critique again, bring back squid game. Yeah. It's about, it's about rich people being hollow. It's a, it's your classic bourgeoisie critique where it's like the hollow lives of the rich, the, yeah. the barren lives of the rich. They Which, have their heroin addicted son and their other son is uh, like a triathlete and he's, he's weird. He eats raw meat. You yeah, know, he's, he's very he's, sexual in a not good way. Yeah. He's like, you know, he's like in a singlet the whole time, like yep. sweating and eating raw meat. And the other son is like a heroin addict. Well, one's self-important, the other is self-destructive. Right, right. But they're both the results of bourgeoisie culture of the of the British Isles. For sure. Yeah. Like a lot of uh, parental neglect. The dad is a politician who fetishizes murdering rabbits over and over again. Yeah. You know? And um I think that it fits neatly into a genre I've actually been exploring again recently. There's a there's a uh, we've talked about like subgenres that we inaugurate ourselves. Um the the Italian film Terema. The uh, Takashi Miike film Visitor Q, uh, Steven, oh. Steven Soderbergh's uh, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, and the Jess Franco film Celestine Made at Your Service are all movies that fit into this category of rich, sterile family is broken free from their sterility and their boredom by the sexual charisma of a proletariat stranger. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Oh, I can think of a couple in there. Yeah, and this film seemed like it was going in that direction, but instead of her fucking every member of the family, which is where I thought it was headed, yeah. she just sort of kills them. And I'm sorry, spoiler. But it's it's <laughs> not really. Um, again, you know, Terrell wanted us to get into it, though, so I thought this might be a cool thing where uh, if like if you leave us with the film, we'll g- jump into it next sure. week. But I again, it's available for rental. I oh man, I reached out to you and I'm like, dude, it's on Netflix. It's no big deal. Okay, so again, it's for rental. I thought it was worth it. One of the problems with these kind of like it was kind of visually interesting in parts. You know, it was just a little basic by the end. I was like, all right, so that's all it was. Narratively, it's it's basic. Yeah, and I, I it gave me a chance to think about. Well, okay. If we want to, if we want to think about visual themes, there's a lot of like German new wave here. Totally. We get a lot of frame within a frame. Totally. Uh, which is all about, you know, th- reflect on what's happening. And class critique. It's a majorly a class critique film. But it doesn't go super deep. Like their neighbor shows up, but there isn't really any other representation. No, it's sort of basic class critique where it's like, aren't the rich full of empty lives? Their, their lives are just business and decorum. Their children are drug addicts or, or adrenaline junkies. And, you know, good night, mommy. I, I had never thought of it this way, but in Goodnight Mommy, we never really get penetrated by like, uh, I don't know, more like stereotypical like poor people who are kind no. of like full of life. Dude, I wished, Goodnight Mommy, interesting you bring that up. I wished that movie had been what it pretended to be. And I have to spoil it to say what I mean. 
So spoilers for Goodnight Mommy. I'm only going to say this for like five seconds. So I had to skip on your last on your Terrell episode. I haven't seen last night in Soho yet. So when he said spoilers, I took my headphones okay, out yeah, yeah. and I just skipped it for a while. So skip about two minutes ahead. Um, Goodnight Mommy is advertised as a film where these kids become convinced that their mom has come back from plastic surgery and been replaced by a stranger. Yeah. The twist is spoilers. Skip ahead a minute that one of the kids is dead and the other kid is just imagining him there and their mom is their mom. They're crazy. That yeah. kid is crazy. I l- did not like that explanation as much as the actual advertised concept of yep. this is not your mother. This is a stranger. That's much more frightening to me. And I wished the movie had been that. Now, uh, when you watched it, did you like two minutes in where you like, Oh, I know what's happening. No, here. no, it took me a while. They, they, they had a red herring where they're like looking at pictures of one of their mom's close friends and yeah. you're like, Oh, it's the close friend. And that's a better concept for sure. It's even a concept where I'm like, well, if you didn't want to do it, I'll do it. Like I'll go ahead and do that concept because it's a better concept. Now we, we watched that movie. I think at the, uh, where, where do we go? It was Embarcadero. We saw it in Embarcadero. And I came out and I fucking hated it. Yeah. And Oksana loved it. Then we went to my house and we screened it. And I flipped. And once I got like, because I, I felt like that was what was going to happen at the end of the film. Once I got past that, I was into it. Now, that's only an element. And I think it's a visual kind of like setting element sure. here. But I think the other important thing is, did you ever watch Swallow? No. Okay, watch Swallow. Swallow's another like class critique where there's like an invader who's not really one of them. She's pretending to be upper class. But there's also a lot of like microfilm of uh, material. Sure. Of the material. And, and I, the thing I like about these type of movies is when you have people who are surrounded by art, but it's like it means something different to them. Like in uh, The Feast, I loved the, the um, painting in yeah. the living room. Yeah, yeah. And then they kind of show it. And uh, our protagonist is kind of looking at it. And then she kind of like rubs her face on it. Yeah. And then later on, we get a breakdown of what the um, the uh, matron of the house thought of the painting. And how it's kind of like not really full of emotion. And it's kind of cold. And it's a map. I think that this is interesting also that the movie's framed around food. And gets into some of the grossness of like preparing a dead rabbit. Which, you know hurts oh, my dressing th- a rabbit uh-huh. which always confused me why they called it that which hurts my feeling uh oh my wife just texted me everything's cool Whew. okay good okay i realized i'm not that- gonna let you into my personal life there but a good text um but uh, i thought you were just like where the fuck did you go no, you're gonna no, be gone no. for an hour no we have a very <laughs> we have a very independent marriage and when i say i'm leaving the house indefinitely she's she's fine with it because she's working on her own work at home she's she's a working lady i'm a teacher do you think i live in san francisco in my own time <laughs> um, um, um hey, you're preaching in the choir right <laughs> yeah, here but uh i am bringing in the big bucks <laughs> but but uh um uh speaking to that I, I you know a show that she's always it's funny that she texted me because a show that she likes more than i do but we watch together mm-hmm. is succession and that's a show about have you ever watched succession no well I, I'm not. I, I'm not good with TV. I'm not necessarily recommending it, but it's a it's a show about the the hyper rich and the hyper evil. Mm-hmm. It's basically about the Murdoch family, like a Romana Clef for them, and there's there's characters that stand for others. But I have been thinking of like a, a video essay I want to do about that, about the way that show deals with food and drink, because rich people, and this is in the feast too, it's an afterthought to them. Their basic needs will always be provided to. Yeah. So yeah. whereas someone like who's poorer or like they're on their last dollar might be like, shit, what can I get for cheap? You know, and like, and food becomes a mainstay focus. Mm-hmm. Even like finely crafted 
you know, fine dining meals like in this movie, it's like, it's just, a they don't de- care. It's just a detail to them. You know, it's like a passing detail. And in succession, you often see scenes where someone will be like, here, I got you this like really nice, you know, dish from this fine restaurant and someone will like put it down and forget it. Yeah. You know? And like, and it's like about how people, how people navigate basic needs when they're rich. It's such a side thought. Wow. Yeah. Well, hold on. That's super interesting. Now yeah. as a fat, poor person, you know, food to me, like it, it's <laughs> me always too. been a, uh, well, it's also the way that like, you know, when you live in America and life is grinding, you're working sure. all the time. Food is the only control you really get to flex. Well, so when you're sitting it, at the table, you're like, nobody can tell me what I'm going to eat. I'll eat whatever the fuck I want to eat. Right. Well, but that's the illusion of choice because exactly, you, you because yeah. you also have like, oh, capitalism allows so much, you know, free decision. But at the end of the day, it's like it's it's just different forms of corn, you know, given to you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like no, but and, how do you want your corn? Here's package? the thing though, because also <laughs> think about the dinner table. Now in like film, yeah. I think about it a bunch because when you're sitting at the table and you know, there's usually not a lot of cutting and what we're doing is everybody pauses all the shit they're working on and we come together and we're doing the thing we have to do so there's really no complaint about eating but we also this is like where people talk on an equal level for the first time and this is usually where in you know a drama shit will spiral out of control much like Thanksgiving yeah. for a lot of people. Yeah. I want to point out one scene in this movie that I thought was absolutely fucking crazy. Since we've already spoiled some aspects of it, there was one part that I was like, interesting, but also what the fuck, which is that um, there's a lot of like horror touches that are sort of basic and sort of just like, it, it, it had a problem, whereas there, I think that one time I met Jack Ketchum, a great horror author, and I asked him, how does he make the violence? Oh, you met him? Yeah, I met him. Yeah. And I asked him, how does the violence in your novel so effective? Because I really love his novel, Off Season. And I was like, how do you, the violence in your book is really effective. And he says, character you know you make you you invest in the character you build the character and then when they die it's a big deal and i feel like the feast i by the time people started dying i was like whatever just get them all dead you know like two dimensional like it's so so whatever just kill them all but there was one death where i was like what the fuck is happening here where the heroin addict son was like all i want to do is go back to london and all i want to do is party and club with my friends and do heroin and i need to be high right now or i'm gonna fucking lose it and so she takes him out to the woods and gathers like i guess a bunch of mushrooms out of a tree i don't know if they were psilocybin they were probably some other kind of weird mushroom <laughs> and i was like okay so eat some mushrooms he goes to his room he fucking injects mushrooms into his oh, leg hey no he no, no. don't hold on. between his don't toes. yada 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 that what the fuck no no so they gather <laughs> mushrooms and it's kind of like a cute moment because it's like oh here it's us yeah and he brings them back to the room and he's dicing them dicing them and it looks like he's gonna snort them yeah or and you're sm- like what are you doing them, maybe and then he puts them in liquid and he lights them with a spoon he does the full heroin the routine. full heroin yeah and then he injects this murky swamp water into his yep. veins it was thick. <laughs> yeah it was like, like, like the whole point of injecting heroin I understand. I've never done it. Honestly, I would tell you if I did. I talked. Oh, about, talk, we got another Kabuki I've, story I've, out of no, you. Huh? I've, ta- I've talked about. I've talked about drug use in here. I've never used heroin. Uh, but uh, you know, having known never people, say never, man. Having known people who have, it's like the whole point is that you have you know like a medical grade injectable yeah. fluid. Yep. You don't have like silty swamp water that you inject into your leg, yeah, well, and then it, within a few minutes, his legs are like rotting with maggots, which is you know supernatural. But but still, it's like. It's an interesting idea that this fucking idiot like injected like <laughs> swamp mushrooms into his leg and now his leg is rotting. You know, I, I thought he, 
he ate them, but they weren't like effective enough. Yeah, it, yeah, because he ate them and then he's at dinner like not high enough. Yeah, it was yeah, it yeah. was more of like a uh, pill substitute, right? Like right. for like oxy or something. Yeah, yeah. When I was in England, all the kids were smoking plant fertilizer called MCAT and getting fucking crazy. British kids loved. I remember the cat thing <laughs> only from the internet. Yeah. Uh-oh. Well, now are we going to talk about a uh, British kabuki story? You had to like, do this one time. I was on MCAT. The no, bartender was when I was in England, I uh, I did go see performance in a theater, but I didn't do many drugs other than smoking weed and getting drunk. Um, so the feast, it didn't really sit mm, well with you. It's fine. I think it's a visually interesting, but it's a little basic. It's visually um, watch swallow. Okay. I think you'll enjoy that film. And with feast. Um, here's the thing. I was thinking a lot about what an art house horror movie is really doing. Right. And I think two thirds of it, they're really just flexing the ability to have, um, to maintain, to maintain like control yeah. and, and restraint. And then a lot of the time in the third act, they don't go anywhere. Yeah. This one, if you're, if you're on the fence about it, it, it goes full horror in the end, which kind of betrays the beginning of the film. I completely agree. It's it, when it goes full horror, it becomes less exciting because yeah. because the tension is broken. Yeah, and there's some sort of garbage mythology at the end that like was such an afterthought about like, oh, this woman you hired is possessed by the ghost of the last woman you hired in a way that was so afterthoughty that I didn't even really care. Here, here's, it, it was the the thing they let out of the. Mountain. Yeah, it was the yeah. Fuck, it's the, the fucking house. happening. It's, it's the, like yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it was an after that. It was a footnote to the yeah. entire like supernatural. And I, I felt like they were saving it because it was supposed to be like a big reveal. You know what like, it should have been? It should have been that the lady that they hired who starts murdering everyone is like an illegitimate daughter of the of the parliamentarian guy. Like that would have been like what I thought we were doing. Because then it's <laughs> doing like a Joker thing. Here. Yeah, yeah. Then it, then it would be like full class critique where it, like Joker. Then it would be like, oh, this is your daughter from an illegitimate, you know, from an affair yeah. you had years ago, and she's come to kill your rich family out of jealousy. That you would know be that movie probably exists. Yeah, but that's a better concept. You know, and it's more thematically relevant to what they're doing. And then she's committing incest with his other sons. It's even darker. Oh, wait, know? wait. Okay, yeah, you yeah. Know, we're, we're going fully behind I'm the I'm writing here. a better movie right here on the oh, air. Okay, <laughs> I, got, I got three more things I want to mention, and sure. I might Go forget ahead. about them. One, uh, now, yeah, she's fucking one of the boys. Yeah. Now, they do, do a little one. bit of... Well, here's one of my major critiques about the Saw franchise. They do a lot of uh, rewrites that they kind of like yada, yada, yada over in the last time on Saw. Yeah. And they kind of retell the story sure. differently sure. to fit their current narrative. Sure. Now, in this one... Jigsaw set up 65 traps before he died. <laughs> <laughs> Here, in, in, in this film, The Feast, there's a, a moment... That reminded me of Swallow. Now, Swallow is a uh, girl. She's swallowing harmful objects, like a tack. Mm. And yeah, Sounds right? Sounds upsetting. Now, in this film, a girl swallows a piece of broken glass, just not orally. And you think, Oksana oh, freaked out you during mean, that up, moment. Up the back end? Up the up the front back end. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Up the... Uh, she ingested it the only way... Back to our Ingmar Bergman that's in Cries and Whispers, <laughs> baby. <laughs> she ingested it the way only a female could. Sure. And... Uh, so you're like, what is happening now? We're going into some weird territory. And uh, she ends up sleeping with one of the boys. And uh, while they're doing it, she tells them, go deeper. Oh. Uh, and now Sounds my, good, actually. My only problem here in the feast is that oh, God. there was the fucking flashbacks. Yeah. They showed you 48 times. Like, remember when she did this? superimposed on top of the love scene of her putting... Because they didn't show her, like, putting the glass in before. Uh, well, but God. it's implied. Oh, that's kind of cool. Like, but they superimposed that Do you that not remember this scene? moment? 
No, I didn't because I think by then I had disengaged to some extent. Oh, you were on your phone. <laughs> no, I was we not. Needed, we needed Harry to run in there I, and be like, I had what the fuck? the notebook open. I was taking notes. <laughs> I don't play my phone. You were snorting mushroom lines yeah, off your notebook. I was like, good idea. <laughs> That's why you got the maggots falling out right now. <laughs> no, so two things. One, okay, there's a room in the back of the house and she's like, here's where I come to meditate. Yeah. It is a dark room. It's all brick. Also, this house looks like it's faux brick. I don't know if that was just me. It looks like wood paneling that has like brick. I said oh. it looked like the house from um, You Should Have Left. Yeah, there's okay. There's an inconsistent visual language to this movie. At the end, when they're like eating the human leg, I was like, no, what the fuck does that even mean? Like, and you know, it, it got to yeah. a point where I was like, okay, so this the movie was a class critique, and then at the end, it was just horror hodgepodge. You know, yeah, like, yeah. like, and it really didn't stick thematically with any one thing. It's just like, is this movie about how when we consume animals, we're like, is this is this you know, under the skin is a cogent vegan message uh -huh. you know and this movie was trying to do a cogent class message by the end it's like ooh, isn't it brutal the way that we skin these rabbits we might as well eat humans also isn't it stupid the way rich people are like shallow and empty it's they they really have no meaning and you know they should just kill them it's like i don't get where you're going at this you know the, pr the problem is whoever wrote this film hated most of the characters from the beginning. I think it was someone who kind of thought they could trick us into thinking this was deep. Yeah, well, that's that's a different issue. Yeah, I think the problem is that you know, from moment one in this film, you know, you 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 oh, feel yeah. it. It's like, oh, that they're a bad yeah. person. Bad. Per there's there's no duality here. There's no nuance, and nothing nothing you don't expect to happen happens. Yeah. Like it's all just like, oh, okay, she's gonna kill him and she's gonna eat him. Well, I think you know they're bad people in a way you don't expect. Did you like? I mean, because one of the categories on IMDb, and it's kind of, it's I think it's part of the aftermath you mentioned, um, is like eco horror. Yeah, where it's just yeah. like it's very like pretty about uh, anti mining for oil or whatever. But like barely, like these are all told, not shown. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like this needed to be a part of the visual language instead of saying like this is about a an evil parliamentarian who's into like you know destroying the environment. Or it's like, well, you didn't really get that visually across. You kind of just like said that. You know, yeah, and, they allude to like oil and blood. I mean, we talked earlier in this four hour podcast, we were talking, <laughs> we were talking about how, you know, First Reformed is probably one of the single best films I've ever seen on um, like e ecological themes. Mm -hmm. Like that's a movie that's like, hey, you know, this it's very of its time. Hey, the world is on fire. What are you going to do about it? Are you willing to kill yourself to stop this from happening? Yeah. Like, how much do you care about the future? You're old. You're going to die. Do you care about children? Do you care about the future? You know, what does it mean to be a child of God? Whereas, like, this kind of movie, I'm like, I don't know if you know what you're trying to say. Like, I think, I think, like, on one hand, you're trying to say, like, the lives of the rich are kind of empty and meaningless. On the other hand, you're kind of trying to say, like, it's, you know, we, we treat animals so badly on the other hand you're trying to say like the british isles are a colonial project that'll never you <laughs> well, know, you, know like, the problem, you guys are reading your own. well no hold on the problem with the animal thing is that you know to discount all hunting is like it's it's just dumb because people do hunt to eat and they need it sure just not here so the theme would have been better like it would have been better if they kind of leaned into they don't need to hunt and the dude did it because it, it kind of proves it's that a he's flex. a man. Yeah, it's a flex. Yeah, and it's like, well, you're you're so insecure that you have to shoot a couple rabbits. A rich to like, guy. It's like those. Uh, it's like Donald Trump Jr. going rhino hunting. You yeah. Know? Right. Like. Yeah. I think they did that though. They did to about some how like the sons were like, little, oh, we're never going to stop hearing we're about how he stop shot hearing two. about how he shot two rabbits. And also, yeah. it was very visceral and hard to watch. I have a pet rabbit, uh, and uh, and that scene was a little rough. But also, like, I'm not 
I, I eat meat. You know, I'm like, I acknowledge that it's a part of life, you know? Yeah. And, and so I didn't get what it was going for. And people in the British Isles eat rabbit a lot, you know? So I didn't get what it was going for in those scenes. Yeah. Well, there's um, also a disconnect with like the tartar. Yeah. Where it's like that dude freaked out about the raw meat. I'm like, wait, really? You yeah. just, you fucking are going to inject some mushrooms into your feet and you're like freaking out over like, <laughs> I think four cubes of like I raw meat. You might've just gotten it. Also raw meat is great. if Prepared correctly. Dude. Great. <sighs> okay. Um, anyway, anyway, we, Terrell's going to be upset because sorry, you know Terrell. What? I didn't actually hate this movie. No, I, I didn't either. I just thought it was <laughs> five out of 10, five out of 10. Anyway. So mid spoiler for you. One Night in Soho, I felt like there's really no heart in that film, and it's beautiful, and it's well done. But, like, again, I walked away, and they always make fun of me for my rating system. Sure. One Night in Soho, I would definitely recommend to certain people. I'm going to watch it. I love it. I would never rewatch it, though. Oh, no. Now, The Feast... Oh man, I think I might rewatch. So here's the thing: definitely would not rewatch the kind of conversation we just had, dude. I I live for this shit, and I I love to just like split every hair on the head. Sure, and pardon the the rabbit pun. Sure, but (laughs) I you know I don't know if I'd rewatch it. I enjoyed it. I don't know, Randy. What are the odds of you checking it out? I kind of wanted to check it out i heard about it on another podcast before our own podcast it like sounded it. good you might but, like it but who did better did did me and nick do better or did they break it down better i think you guys did for sure you motherfucking Brandy, better have said that just watch winter he, if you could see the video he he had to roll his eyes he was like yeah <laughs> yeah i guess it was you um instead of watching this i will probably just rewatch uh the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie hey, there you go that's <laughs> You know what? Honestly, if if I could say instead of this, watch all the other movies I compared it to. Watch Tiorama by Pasolini. Watch Visitor Q. Watch Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Watch Celestine Made at Your Service, which is hey. a softcore porno. I'm wait, trying wait, wait. to watch Hold Visitor on. Q. Yeah. Uh, do you have a... You have an end to Visitor Q? Dude, do you have an end to Audition? Because my wife just read the book and I've been trying to show her the movie and it's wait, not... Come on. Movie. That's going to be streaming everywhere. Nope. I think we own Audition. Wait, isn't Audition has to be available? I looked for it. In I think I watched it recently. But yeah, it's, but it's not. I can't email. remember no, no, where. No, no, no. Oksana, see if you can find an Audition so, on, on Apple TV. It is. Oh my $3.99. god. Okay, all right. I'll go watch that. Here's one the thing. It's on Tubi it's on, for free with commercials. no, but but Tubi with commercials. Is it on Apple TV for purchase? Because I don't like commercials. Uh, it's for rent. It's on Prime. Oh, it's on Prime for real? It wasn't there four days ago, dude. I swear. I swear. I am not buying it. <laughs> My wife got into Real Murakami lately, and I'm very happy. She read Audition, Make and she sure. read In the Miso Soup. Two oh. great. Oh, I heard Real that's Murakami. good. Which leads me into... Wait, no, no. Hold on. <laughs> Visitor Q, don't let me get away. Clark oh, okay. would love it if, if Clark would own a copy. Visitor Q. <laughs> yeah, but he... he, he got... I don't own a copy. I know. I'm you sorry. Have, do you have a fucking file or something? No, man. I when I I saw Visitor Q a decade ago on Netflix when it was a mail service. Like they mailed me the DVD Dude, of Visitor Q. Yeah. Talk yeah. about the old days, man. <laughs> yeah, Visitor Q, so the kind of movie where a guy has sex with a dead body and then she defecates and it makes him happy because it lubricates the sex. That's the kind of movie that Visitor Q is. If the kids are listening, I just got fired. And I'm done. Um, but, <laughs> but, but that's the kind of movie that Visitor Q is and Clark would fucking hate it. The opening scene of that movie is a guy banging his daughter and it is like ASMR incest. It is oh. like... <laughs> the whole scene. Sorry, yeah. Oksana, wow. just, uh, Oksana just threw up. Wait. <laughs> dude. Dude. Yeah. Have you, I have, feel have you like not I had, seen Visitor Q? No, no. Just the ASMR thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. And dude, then the dark mom, ASMR. The mom starts lactating and the kid swims in a sea of her milk. I mean, it's an amazing movie. And it's based quite directly 
on Pasolini's Teorema, which I highly recommend, which is a movie where Terrence Stamp, Pasolini, by the way, radical communist Italian director who very consciously knew what he was doing. And that movie, the class critique is perfect where it's this, it's this bourgeoisie Italian family and Terrence Stamp comes in and he fucks everyone in the family. He fucks the son. He fucks the daughter. He fucks the mom. He fucks the dad. He fucks the maid. Mm -hmm. And then the whole family is like so fucking horny that they like go become I guess like proletariat empathetic from that point on. Okay. They, Cause they just want to have sex with common people from then on. And, but it's also about like their empty lives, you know, it's, yeah. both, it's both. And that was sort of theorem is literally Italian for theorem. That was literally the theorem that informed all these other movies, sex lies and videotape. Same thing. James Spader visits like a, a, a dying marriage and like re-injects it with his horniness. Yeah. And then you go even further back into the seventies with Jess Franco, who just made softcore porno starring his wife, Lena Romay. And in, and in Celestine, she goes to a manor with a stodgy French or Spanish family. It's in different languages. And, um, and she fucks everyone in the house. And then, <laughs> and, and then at the end of the movie, she leaves in the night and everyone's fucking each other. And she's like, I've brought sex back to this house and like leaves. And that's what these movies are really about. So if I'm going to recommend one to Randy, uh, <laughs> it's going to be Pasolini's Teorama. I think you'd like that one. And follow- I've been meaning to see it, but I haven't yet. Yes. So yeah, I'll check that one out. Highly recommend it. And Visitor Q, if you can get your hands on it, is uh, it's gross, but it's worth watching. All right. Sure. Well, I think now <laughs> if you're among the few that watch this on YouTube, Oksana does a screen capture where every time we mention a movie, she'll look it up and just kind of like go around yeah, on IMDb. Sure, sure. I think you have broken her fingers with this rapid fire name dropping. I, uh, I think it's incredible, though. Oksana, what do you think your accuracy rate is today? Uh, I've I definitely missed at least 10 times. <laughs> I have never had, I just want to say, this is like a spiritual experience for me. I've never had anyone who not only is like willing to listen to me talk about this shit for four hours, but like keeps asking me to talk oh, for yeah. four hours. Like guys, we could filibuster Congress with this we level could. of conversation. <laughs> Let me bring us into maybe one of our last segments, which is, I want to call it, and you don't have to put a stinger on or anything, but I just want to call it uh, Nick's Book Corner. Wait, 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 let me give you one. Okay, okay, right. okay. Let me ready. Hell yeah. yeah. And Nick's Book Corner. Oh, wait, wrong one. <laughs> I like that Sorry, one. That, that was the wine there. Here, no. I want to I give you something more like thoughtful. Okay, here we go. We're reading books. <laughs> Pull up a chair. <laughs> This Halloween season, I've been reading a lot of uh, uh, horror literature uh, of various types. I got my wife into Rio Murakami, as I said. One of the only places in San Francisco where you can find Rio Murakami is at Kinokuniya in Japantown. If you look at Murakami in most bookstores, you're going to see Haruki Murakami, who's you know more of a standard literary author. Rio Murakami is a genre author. He wrote Audition. He wrote Piercing, both movies of which we know and love. He also wrote books like In the Miso Soup, which uh, is a dark story that sort of foreshadowed America's obsession with Japanese culture and weeb culture and gaijin culture. Um, so I recommend Ryo Murakami. I really do. I think he's great. Uh, he think he's a really great pulp Japanese writer. Another author I picked up at uh, Kinokuniya in Japantown, and you probably know this guy, is Edogawa Ranpo. Do you know who this guy is? No, no idea. Ranpo, you heard of him before, Randy? Um, there's a movie, no. I think there's a Japanese movie called Ranpo Noir. He is considered the like premier early 20th century Japanese mystery and horror author, Rampo. Um, Rampo, first blood. Yeah, yeah, Rampo. Yeah. <laughs> so here's a funny story. Edogawa Rampo. I'm going to try to do this without veering into problematic territory. Ed- Edaga- Edogawa Rampo was not his real name. He was Japanese. This was his decision. 
he named his himself his pseudonym his nom de plume after the way that Japanese people pronounced Edgar Allan Poe. So when oh. Ed, so when Japanese people would say Edgar Allan Poe, they would typically say something like Edogawa Rampo. Yeah, and so he was like, "Oh, that'll be my name." And then he wrote stories, mystery stories, kind of like Edgar Allan Poe. For those of you who don't know. Before Sherlock Holmes, before Arthur Conan Doyle, Edgar Allan Poe invented the detective mystery story with the murders in the room work, um, and the and the uh, the murder of Maria Marie Roget and the purloined letter. Oh come um, on, you don't know this shit. And I, 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 know. I just <laughs> named it all. Um, and uh, and Edgar Allan Poe, he wrote mystery stories, but he also wrote horror stories. Um, the freaking I'm going to recommend two Edgar Allan Poe stories. I'm amazed these were written in the early part of the 20th century because they're so dark. One, the human chair, which is about a guy who builds himself into a chair oh, and then it. goes where the chair goes and obsesses over the different people who sit in the chair. And it's just unbelievable. Junji Ito, the mangaka, did a really great um, comic of it. Oh, and awesome. then I read a story last night by Edgar Rampo called The Caterpillar, which was, I think, a direct inspiration on the way Takashi Miike did parts of the of the. Uh, the film of audition, which is, it's about a guy who has no legs, no arms, no tongue, no ears. And his wife has to take care of him. And he's like slinking across the ground and she like hates him. And at one point in a, and it's, it's an early 20th century, uh, sorry. So forgive the problematic gender aspect here. One time while she's having an especially bad period, she's in such a rage that she blots his eyes out. So he's also <laughs> blind. And then he like drags himself through the grass. And the last part of the story, this story written in the early half of the 20th century, I cannot believe how old it is. She's like chasing her caterpillar husband through the, the grass. And I remember reading it and being like, this is some of the most sick and twisted <laughs> shit I've ever read. And it's so good. So I really can't recommend enough the the stories of Edgar Rampo. Dude, I am I pulled up the human chair and uh Junji Ito is like the first thing that comes yeah. up. Yeah. Oh man, I <laughs> I got to we got to buy this. You got to you got to yeah. read that, dude. It, it is looks fucking It's it's just such a high concept horror. You know, we were talking about just now the feast and how like everything in horror has already been done. Nah, dude, the human no, chair, no. that is shit that is like so creative. Also, just as a side note for Junji Ito, I'm sure we have a lot of Junji Ito fans listening. If you don't know who he is, he's the greatest horror mangaka that I know of. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's other good horror mangaka. I especially love Blood on the Tracks by, oh, what's his name? Oba. Fuck, what the hell is mangaka? I gotta look it up. I, d- I know a lot of mangaka is guys who write manga. Um, that's it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, uh, um, hold on. Let me just look up this author. So I know what I'm talking about. But Junji Ito, uh, I think, yeah, no problem. He did uh what spiral. Yeah. Uzumaki. Uzumaki. Oh, okay. Sorry. God, yeah. I called him. The- I didn't want to just say Junji Ito is the only horror mangaka. There's also Shuzo Oshimi who does blood on the tracks and inside Mari, which I highly recommend. But I think Junji Ito's story, the enigma of Amagara fault might be the single greatest, concept of horror i've ever read in my entire life i seriously think in that one short story and it's a short manga and you can read it online that he did horror better than i've ever seen it done before in in such an uncanny way so brilliantly so the enigma of amagara fault fanboys know what i'm talking about and edagawa ranpa was a huge influence in him speaking of comics i read and i'm sorry i'm just firing through these because hey, i'm just giving reading lists to all the readers i recently read a new alan moore comic i'm sure a lot of people listening are alan moore fans of v for vendetta um, and Watchmen, but Alan Moore in like 2017, I think he started a little before that. He published a series of HP Lovecraft comics called Providence, all about a Robert Block stand in, in the form of a guy named Robert Black starts traveling around new England, researching different, um, sort of Lovecraftian ideas. 
And there's an issue of this comic for different love staff stories. So there's like an Innsmouth episode. There's like a, a Pikmin's model episode. There's like a Dunwich horror episode uh, or an issue. They're all comics. This was perhaps, you know, we know that in the entire career of Stuart Gordon, um, but this was perhaps the greatest modern Lovecraft adaptation I've ever seen. So Providence, I got the compendium. Providence is so unbelievably good. It drags a little bit between issues because there's these long diary entries, which you can read or not. If you want a full understanding of the story, you, you should read them. But if you just want to read the comics, you can skip the diary entries and just read the comics. They are incredible. And, and of course, Alan Moore knows how to like translate Lovecraft better than anyone before visually. There is a horror concept. Harry warned me, my brother. He warned me that there is a horror concept in the middle of Providence that is the darkest shit you will ever read. I'm going to go ahead and say what it is. Okay. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. Is it no spoilers? There is a scene, spoilers to anyone listening, but Harry told me the spoiler before I read it and I still read it. There is a scene where a guy goes to visit a 13 year old girl in this town and he's like, why do you live alone? She's like, oh, just come to my house. And it turns out she's not a 13 year old girl. She's inhabited by like an old, old man who's stolen her body. <sighs> and then that old, old man transfers consciousnesses. So forces our narrator into her body and rapes her while he's in his body. <laughs> yeah. And I remember reading that issue and being like, what the fuck did I just read? And that is the kind of shit you do in comics that you can never do in a movie. Dude, no, I yeah, thought yeah. you were going to say Chris Hansen was going to jump out. And she's no. like, oh, she wasn't no, no, here no. alone. So the main character <laughs> is getting raped by his own body while he's in a 13 year old girl's body. And this is the kind of shit. And Harry, I was talking to my brother about it. He's like, Ellen Moore is creative. He's also a little bit of an edgelord. Oh, and yeah. Like, and like, that's what that issue was. I was like, this is edgelord brilliance, you know? And, and also like, that's the kind of shit where I put it down and I like spend a few nights like wrestling with it. Like that fucked me up. And that is directly Lovecraftian when you think about like Whisper in Darkness. And oh, shit yeah. Like that. And Lovecraft himself is a character at the end of the comic. And they don't shy away from his racism. Because the main character is Jewish and gay, but yeah. they don't say that. He's sort of hiding it because it's yeah. the 30s. And Lovecraft starts talking about like these disgusting homosexuals in New York and these dirty Jews and everything. And the main character sort of like sits there uncomfortably. <laughs> and you see him sort of like <laughs> wrestle with Lovecraft's like bigotry. You yeah. Know? And it's great. I love seeing that. I love seeing someone be honest about like kind of the shithead that Lovecraft was while still being in a narrative that pays ode to how unbelievably creative he was. Yeah. And the, the implication of the whole series is that Lovecraft wasn't really creative. He was actually just like writing about the reality of the occult world around him. Yeah. Um, Which, you know, I, again, I think when people lash out like that and they have all those like racist tendencies, it comes from a deep, deep self-hatred. Yeah. And uh, the thing that I love about Lovecraft that I want people it to does. do, it does come from self-hatred. Dude, it, it is for sure. And that's why, you know, I've met people who I would actually call racist. Mm -hmm. And when you start like, poking their ideology there it never stands up what it really comes down to is they hate themselves yeah, yeah. well or they're scared of the other yeah right and they're like i was raised in a way to fear people that look like this and you're like yeah but uh we work with one if you want to if you and and if you want to um and i've worked with people who became more racist as they isolated themselves oh That's yeah how it typically happens and, and welcome the, to the internet right and in the last few years of his life hp lovecraft lived in you know sick isolation like he was very oh, sick yeah for sure and he lived in isolation and his racism really pronounced itself then um i i think that um it's the, if you want to read about the way that these ideas rise up and take over a country like they have in parts of the u.s there's no better while we're in nick's book corner there's no better essay i'm, <laughs> I'm going to force my students to read this than umberto echo's um essay or fascism in which he talks about living in mussolini's italy and watching fascism rise up around him and it's all about 
recapturing traditional masculine values. That's mm-hmm. where it starts. Yeah. Speaking of, um, revisiting recently one of my favorite books by Umberto Eco, The Name of the Rose. Highly recommend the oh, Sean, yeah. the Sean yep. Connery film. Yep. Do not recommend the John Turturro miniseries, which was made in 2019. I love John Turturro. This miniseries was utter fucking <laughs> garbage. It was like shot on a fucking LA lot inside. Was. I want to mention two more books. Uh, from my horror reading of October. Read books, by the way. You don't just have to watch horror movies in October. Read some good books. How, how many do you read a year? I, I try to read 30 books a year, which isn't that many. That's not that bad. No, but I try to read 30 books that are new to me a year. Yeah. Not counting a few rereads, and I also read literary magazines. Any nonfiction in there? Uh, I, I read theory. You know, I'm okay. reading Peter Kropotkin, The, the Conquest of Bread. And theory I read, counts. And I read history. And, okay. and so I like that. But I mostly like fiction. 30 books of fiction, usually. And I like to read a lot of short stories. I also subscribe to the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and I try to read their new issues every time they come out. Right. Um, so two books I just want to recommend at the end here. Uh, one, Lois Duncan, who doesn't get talked about enough. She was a young adult uh, horror writer. I don't know if she's still around. I don't think she is. She wrote famously, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Oh. And Teaching Mrs. Tingle. And um, and a lot of like horror for young adults. By the way, most of the time when there's a horror book, it gets softened by a movie. You mm-hmm. know, like most Stephen King books are more disturbing than the movies made of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. However... I know what you did last summer. No one gets murdered in that book. And then they turned it into a slasher movie out of a young adult book in which no one is killed. So what was the book in the book? The, 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 the killer is just intimidating these teens. Like he keeps like leaving frightening messages. Wow. That's almost more relatable and scary. I know. And it was for a younger (laughs) audience. So I just going through when I moved schools, because I switched jobs, I moved from a school in San Francisco to a school in San Rafael. I stole a bunch of books from my classroom and just brought them with me. Cause I was like, no one's reading. Hell yeah. And um, one of the books I took was this old eighties edition of a Lois Duncan book called stranger with my face. I had no idea idea of what it was i knew it was written by the woman who wrote i know what you did last summer and it was from the 80s or maybe even from earlier from like the 60s or the 70s um i think it is actually from the 70s it is so good i just love the title stranger with my face i was like that's interesting it's like the mandela catalog it's a doppelganger story yep and then once they get into what the doppelganger aspect is it's astral projection and it's it's separated twins and it's shit like this and it it carries the evil twin narrative to a to a degree. You know how like you see high concept sci-fi and horror where it's like, let's take this idea to its logical extreme. It yeah. does that all the way. And I loved it. So I really got to recommend Lois Duncan's Stranger with My Face. I'm going to read more as Lois Duncan. As yeah, I but go. what's better? The Simpsons with Bart's evil twin <laughs> or <laughs> Lois Duncan? Aren't we all a little crazy? I know <laughs> I, know I am. <laughs> I fucking love that one. So oh, yeah. Bart, you stay home and, f- and tape the hockey game. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we decided to keep him in the attic and feed him fish hits. It saved our marriage. Yep. Um, last book I want to recommend. Highly recommend. The Bible. Is... I actually did just last night buy a new copy of the King James Bible on Amazon because I'm <laughs> writing something with religious themes and I want to reread the book of Jeremiah. So you were making a joke, but I am reading the Bible. Hell but, yeah. uh, but, but um, no, uh, the truth. I, I can't get one over on yeah, you. The You're troop, <laughs> the troop by Nick Cutter. Um, I did not expect this book to go as hard as it went. This has been recommended a lot by a lot of people. It's a book that was written a few years ago. It is a horror novel uh, that takes place on an island off the coast of Prince Edward Island, an island off the coast of an island, an island off the coast of Prince Edward Island in Canada. The plot, it's such a perfect narrative and it's so disturbing. Five boy scouts and a, and a scout master are on an island camping trip and a stranger shows up and I don't want to give too much away, but it, um, it escalates very quickly. And there's an aspect of, 
um, disease horror to this. That's all I'll say to kind of hint at it. Where disease horror has been done a lot. We've all seen Cabin Fever, you know, and we've all seen Rabbit and stuff like that. But this is a like a kind of disease horror that I was even thinking of. Like, no one's really explored uh, this aspect of. I'll, I'll give a little more of a hint. Parasites. You know, no one's asked about this aspect uh. of parasites and like the nature of parasites. And it, it does visceral graphic horror with mostly like 12 year old boy characters, which makes it even more disturbing. And it did exactly what Jack Ketchum said, where it had a little Lord of the Flies aspect to it, where it's five young boys in this horror situation. And each of them, five makes it very focused. You can focus on all five characters. Each of them has a very distinct personality. Cool. And you have like the boy who's sort of a jock, who's like a little bit of a bully. You have the boy who's like a psychopath. You have the two boys that are best friends. You have the like fat kid who no one likes. Mm-hmm. And it has this great Lord of the Flies dynamic to it. Highly recommended the the troop by Nick Cutter. I just want to warn people, very disturbing and very good. Well, you reminded me of one of the pillars of horror, one of the great films ever to uh, breach our lifetime. And uh, it seems to have a lot of similar themes. It's called Cabin Fever by Eli Roth. Cabin Fever! <laughs> we have a stranger showing up to a campsite and he's got Dr. Mambo. Love it. He's a doctor of being a dog. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> No, the troop. We own this book. When you said it, I was looking at it. You read it, right? Huh. Yeah, I read it a couple of years ago, and I was actually just talking to someone. About, I thought about it this morning. Oxana read the troop. I oh, we read. We're a learned family. Put it, damn it down. It's it was so from fucking, a couple years ago. It's a quick read. It's like I mean, it's big book, but it reads fast. I I picked it up. I was we were at like a Green Apple video or something. Or something. Oh, the one, video. the one that was attached to a book that was above yeah, Green yeah. Apple in the park. Yeah, yep. on on and this Ave. one, I saw a couple books that had like Stephen King's sign off on them, and this yeah. was one of them. And I was like, oh, I like this cover. Um, fucking disgusting, disgusting descriptions. Then the thing that it incorporates that you don't really think of it with like a parasite is smell. Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's like smell, oh, and also I still think about the description. There's also um, this always disturbs people the most. There's a there's a psychopath character in this book. I don't want to spoil too much, but I always think a little taste of spoiler kind of makes people want to go for it. There's a psychopath <laughs> That's character. A good title. A as, little taste so, of spoiler. So what's, what's really interesting is in most horror situations with young kids, you expect like the horror hits and the kids are terrified and they're trying to survive. But there's one kid of the five who is just a psychopath. So when the horror starts, he's like, oh, hell yes. Like, he kind of gets into it. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to use this to my advantage. Kind of like how in Battle Royale, there's the same thing with the one psychopath kid. And that character in the troop is what makes it so disturbing. Because he's this kid who's like, this horror situation is going on, and I love it. And I'm going to, like, lean into it and use it as my opportunity to let my, like, inner dark passenger to speak of Dexter like like feed you know oh, I just died on the mic yeah. <laughs> no. actually, I talked about this book with someone who was reading another one of Nick Cutter's book that I haven't read yet but it sounds great it's called The Deep yeah I heard about that one and I really do want to read some more Nick Cutter um, Oksana hell yeah was it William Spataro yeah I think yeah it was yeah, he was reading yeah. The buddy. Deep and I was like, oh, Nick Cutter sounds familiar. And we started talking about the troop. So I yeah. rec- we did like exchanged recommendations from the same author. Yeah. Special I, effects artist. I just want to remind everyone uh, who has maybe not read a book in 10 years that because there's a lot of adults out there who have a lot of shame about the fact that they don't read. Don't you don't have to. I mean, I do love fucking the classics. I love Ethan Frome. I love the great Gatsby. You don't have to read that shit. I mean, I like it, but you don't have to like it. You can go read the troop by Nick Cutter, yeah, which yeah. is like a fucking breezy read. You can read stranger with my face by Lois Duncan. You could read 50 shades of gray. Don't let me people make you feel bad. Just read, just build a habit of reading. You can read comic books. 
just build a habit of reading. It'll make you feel like a more fulfilled person. Wow. <laughs> I, you know, thank, thank you for being on this show. You know, I've, I've been trying to preach the uh, gospel of reading and Randy and Clark, they just turned their nose to me this year. I set a goal. I think I started late for 20 books. I'm at 18 right now. That's a good goal. 20 books is, is modest and good. And if you haven't, if you're someone listening who hasn't maybe like really sat down and read a book in years, read five. You know, just like start small. Start with a comic yeah. too. That's yeah. an easy way to yeah. build it back up. Read some comic books, and 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 as a closing out for uh, Nick's book corner, can can you by any chance pull up a, a song if I ask you to play a song over me talking? Yeah, yeah. What do you need? I want you to play Guts Theme, ten hour version from YouTube. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and this will be nice. also. Don't shame me. I did uh, read and finish a book this week. What'd you read, Randy? And I bought two more. What'd you read? Um. I bought this book, This Thing Between Us. Oh, wow. That looks fucking cool, um, dude. I saw that Jeff Vandermeer, who wrote the book version of Annihilation, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. was doing like a Q&A with him about his uh, about this thing between us. Did you read Annihilation, and I love, Randy? I did, yeah, yeah. I've read like five of his books, and I love his writing. See, Randy reads. <laughs> um, so I checked this book out, and it's a really good. It's basically like a sci-fi book about grief. Sort of. Dude, hell yeah. It's it's really good. Um, Randy, and then I just bought two books today to try to get back into the reading game. Randy, I feel like you really like emotional genre literature and fi- and fiction and film. Like you seem like you like the emotional core to genre. Is that Yeah, that I was trying to like analyze what I liked about certain books to like try to find more like it. Yeah. And I really like books written in the first person mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where there's like not many characters and you're kind of just experiencing what the person the main okay. you know, protagonist of the book is experiencing. I'm going to go out on a limb here. This might be a little esoteric for your taste. And if you don't like it, Randy, put it right down and read something else. Cause I want <laughs> you, I don't, I don't want you to get discouraged, but you might like the name of the Rose by Umberto Eco. It is a monastery murder mystery set in the 1300s told in the first person. And I think it combines history and mystery in a way. It was one of the big hits of the eighties. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. So Cool. Recommended. But now I want to talk about Kentaro Mura to close out my book, my book thing. So earlier this year, one of the darkest things that's ever happened. We lost one of the great ones, Kentaro Mura, or as they call him in Japan, Murasan, the author of the long running manga Berserk. There is a modern mo- anime of it that's not very popular. I wouldn't recommend it. There's a 90s anime of it that's almost impossible to find. But if you ask really nicely, I can show you my Google Drive of it. Um, I'm wearing a Skull Knight shirt right now, which is one of the major characters from the Berserk manga. Honestly, I've always liked manga okay. I've always liked comics okay. Nothing ever made me realize how much can be done in the medium of manga than Berserk. This comic series the artwork is on another level. When you open a page and there's a splash frame, it just arrests your attention. My favorite thing to do is to read it while listening to either this this kind of music, the actual soundtrack to the 90s series, or listening to doom and sludge metal like Bell Witch or Corrupted or stuff like that. It is so intense in the artistic style. And around the Golden Age arc that you get in like Tankuban volume 12 to 14, some of the finest storytelling I've ever read in my life. Sadly... Even though the mass storyline, because it's a long form story from a very slow writer, uh, I would compare it to um, 
Game of Thrones meets Hellraiser is sort of what the plot is here. He, the, the, the author died uh, young before his time of an aortal dissection just randomly at a time that he said that the story was about 60% done. So the story just ends kind of in the middle. Um, it's still the great, even, even with only 60% done, it's the greatest storytelling I may have ever read in comic book form. And um, I cannot recommend enough. Get to your local manga store. Start reading Berserk the manga. The anime is good, but nothing compares to the manga. And Kentaro Mora, you are dearly missed. And to those of you trying to get into reading, you can't do much. Uh, you can't do much better than reading Berserk. So I highly recommend it. And that's all I wanted to say. You can fade it out. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was standing outside of the Balboa Theater, having just watched Rewind Wednesday's version of Britney Spears' Crossroads, <laughs> feeling <laughs> feeling really good and like having had a fun night. When suddenly um, Christian, who's a comic book artist and a Berserk fan, just looked at his phone and goes, oh, my God, Kentaro Mura died. Yeah. And I literally like dropped my popcorn. I was like, what? Yeah. And I went home and I, I think I was up all night just fucking sobbing. And like I have a bookshelf of just Berserk up there. And I was I was devastated. I was devastated. Yeah. You know, I went through a phase where I was getting um, a ton of manga. And I think I've only kept two series. One of them was Ultimate Muscle. Sure. And the other one was Berserk. Yeah. And I, I would have them right up there with uh, my Robert E. Howard Conan. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, you know, this is kind of like the horror direction I wish Conan did more. Yeah. Because I know he talked, the, the correspondence with like Lovecraft and stuff are all interesting. But I'm like, I really wanted more of the Tower of the Elephant. And I'm like, I feel like Guts, like he kind of got that life that i wanted the the entire arc of i'm not going to give anything away but the eclipse and the griffith's betrayal i guess i am giving something away, but <laughs> not really not really is i think the most profound plot point and character payoff in anything i've ever read oh like, dude like, like it builds to it so perfectly it is so perfect i think kintaro mora was like keyed in on a level of storytelling I don't know if anyone can match. And I think he produced his work so slowly because it was so masterful. And not to mention the artwork is remarkable. I will literally be, you know, stoned out of my mind, listening, <laughs> listening to sludge metal, and I will pause staring at a splash panel of Berserk for 10 whole minutes, you know, just like yeah. drinking it in. And that's where I want to close this epic, you know, the length of a Bellatar movie episode of the Overlook Hour. It has been so wonderful to be with you all. What a wonderful way to spend my Sunday. And if we lived in the uh, mutual aid anarcho-communist utopia that I dream of, I would just be here every week doing this with you guys. Hey, you're welcome. <laughs> and I would love to. Randy, I know it's later over there in Atlanta. Thank you for sticking with us this whole time. Big ups to Randy, everybody, for sticking with us and for being the sound engineer behind the magic. And to Oksana over there for, uh, you know, running running the, the show behind behind the scenes. And, of course, to Lord Battle for bringing the energy that that makes me stay so engaged in a conversation for four hours. Clark, don't worry. I didn't replace your job. I'm sure you turned this off <laughs> three hours ago. <laughs> wait, wait, what is, what is the official time here? I know, Randy, you were running a little bit early, but it looks like we went over three. A little over three, yeah. We also can't forget to eulogize uh, Formula One pioneer Frank Williams on behalf of Clark's request. Frank Williams, he lived a fast, hard life. I feel like I hardly knew you, Frank. Yeah. R.I.P. Yeah, he's riding around that track in heaven now. <laughs> um, it's been wonderful to be with you all. And uh, support your local movie theater. Stay the fuck off your phone. Hey, man, uh, let's do it again. Yeah. Like, I could sit here and talk to you all day. This is my favorite shit in the world. Just, Good, having, I, yeah. just having these conversations, seriously. And I love you guys. And I love you, the listener, because you're the one who gives this life by interpreting it. <laughs>